Digital Gonzo, episode 141, recorded Thursday the 25th of July 2013, Batman, The Killing Joke, Director's Commentary. Welcome to the making of the Gonzo Planet Killing Joke audio drama. It's actually an editor and cast commentary, if I'm honest, but since that's not a phrase in common usage by anyone, director applies here. What we suggest you guys at home do is to grab a copy of The Killing Joke in book form, and if you don't have one to hand, follow the nifty link in the show notes to an online copy. We're going to take you through page by page, panel by panel, and discuss what it took to turn this into an audio drama, and thence to a motion comic. Joining me, I have Matt Ramsey of Do Try This at Home. Hello. A.K.A. Commissioner Jim Gordon and Alfred Pennyworth. Matt's partner in crime, Sharon Shaw, who played Jeannie and Street Girl. Good evening. And for the first time on Gonzo, newcomer Loretta Seller, who played Barbara Gordon. Hello, Loretta. Hello, everyone. Before we start, we will also be talking about last year's production, Batman Breakdown, as that was in many ways inspired by this original book, Killing Joke, and there are ties that go back and forth. So, spoilers for Breakdown. If you haven't listened to that show yet, please do. It's awesome. If you want to go listen to that now, then come back and listen to this, go for it. It'll be worth it. We'll still be waiting for you. Okay? See you soon. And you're back. Okay, so let's start. (laughs) Uh, everybody ready to start on their comics? Everyone got them in front of them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. right. So we'll go with page one, and uh, it'll be the, uh, the, the the front cover of um, my paper version has got this, uh, the rainy panel here, just these puddles, um, uh, as the sort of the inside cover. And I figured for the... I'll be talking about the motion comic here as well, because obviously uh, I had to represent the visual element in this too, but I had to also do it audio. Now, Breakdown, I started with rain, and then when I f- it was raining throughout whenever they were outside. At the very, very end, the rain stops, and that was a direct reference to this, where it is bookended by rain. It's almost cyclical, indicating that the Batman and Joker will continue to chase each other round and round Gotham uh, ad infinitum, and it's always going to be this same horrible, depressing, rainy, puddle-bound scenario. So, yeah. I found after I'd actually... Um, tried to convert the audio into the uh, comic book panels, that there are loads of panels at this very beginning bit, and I had to cram loads and loads and loads in at the same time. So I, I think if I'd really thought about it and knew I was going to be turning it into a comic, I'd probably have this woman in the orange in page two going, he's over that way, Batman and Commissioner Gordon. But instead I didn't. I was also going to have Batman go Commissioner and Gordon go Batman, but I thought, nah, like, he comes in later. I didn't want to... Uh, hold anyone's hand. And that was kind of the watchword with this. I didn't want to have anyone say anything unless it was really important if it wasn't on the script. Um, so, yeah, Batman goes into Arkham Asylum and I used the Arkham Asylum music from the, the game, which, uh, yeah, as if you've, if you're into Batman, you'll play those games. That's a piece of music that immediately makes you go Arkham straight away. And I added, uh, during the opening montage, little bits of, uh, if you listen carefully, you can hear Two-Face saying, come see me, and uh, Killer Croc doing his croc noise, because I'm going to feature Croc in Hush, so I kind of wanted to sort of preempt him there. Um, 
And then Batman goes into the cell and Joker's playing cards. So, I okay, wait. Do you guys want to just sort of ask questions as soon as they occur to you? If you can fit, fit in any, uh, edgeways or, you know, anything, any, any questions just about the overall project that a burning holds in your heads right now? I've got a million of them, to be honest. Shoot um, with one, whatever you like. All right, so so uh, I guess I guess this relates to breakdown, but I mean, like you said, it's going it's it's const it's the constant chase between Batman and the Joker, and I thought it was very interesting that you decided to use Jason Todd to be the new, uh, new Joker here. Yeah. Yes, um, but I also find it interesting that um, that there's always this duality mm. to to a lot of the Batman characters, and um, and. To me, it's like this scene where they're they're talking about the two guys in the lunatic asylum, especially like that. Just that always highlighted it for me, mm. especially in the comic book and in, in the show. Like just just the difference here, where where Batman is like he's supposed to be dark, menacing, and shadowy, and he's supposed to be scary, mm. but he's he's the good guy. And yet, here's the Joker, supposed to be like this clown, and clowns are supposed to be funny, but people are afraid of clowns. Yeah. So. What I like, what I really want to know is like, what were you thinking when you had to when you had to do both like the Joker and Batman? Like, was it like what was going through your mind? Like, did Batman sort of slip in sometimes there, or was it like the Joker? <laughs> was it like there were one or two bits, especially near the end when it was Batman and Joker uh, talking, um, where their voices almost melded into one, which actually isn't all that inappropriate if you think about it. They're, um, uh, Joker has referenced them as being two sides of the same coin uh, repeatedly. or it's That's kind of a villain cliche to say, we're both alike, you and I. I mean, it's even like it's in James Bond. But um, the toughest thing was um, making Batman laugh at the end and not having him sound like the Joker because it's tougher than you might imagine to laugh in while acting. And to do, to laugh in a specific voice, and then to laugh in another voice, and make it different, because it's not just um, a character laughing in different ways. It's two completely different characters laughing in in a voice that's kind of similar to your own. So the the joke is like, <laughs> but when you laugh, you're not really controlling it. In fact, technically, a laugh is a la- a lack of control, a relinquishing of that. So. Batman relinquishing control with my voice sounds like the Joker. <laughs> when Joker goes down really low and Batman goes down really low, it's it they, they kind of fuse together. And the the Joker that I was actually riffing on the most in this one is actually have any of you guys seen uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker? Yes. Yeah. Um, one of my the, favorite films. The way Hamill plays him in that, he's the, the, you know, a lot of the clown is gone and he's just this sort of dark stalking presence, as, as dark and stalking as he can be in the DC animated universe, uh, the Bruce Tim one, um, without going over the edge, so to speak, and, and really straight out killing people like this Joker does. Although actually he does get to kill a few people in Mask of the Phantasm. Um, but yeah, he has this sort of really low, threatening voice most of the time throughout uh, Revenge of the Joker. And he's not really funny or fun anymore in that, which is kind of cl- – he's back, but the gloves are off at this stage for this one. Somebody actually said that they preferred my performance as Joker in Breakdown because he's, it seemed less consistent, which is interesting because one of the whole points of the Joker is that he's all over the place. 
he'll he'll go you know, from being you know happy go lucky to being really dark and menacing in the blink of an eye and um it's almost like me trying to nail down one specific joker in this made him less vibrant perhaps less exciting i don't know what did you guys think it's it's an interesting point that because i think the um one of the things i noticed about the joker in the killing joke is that if you look a little deeper deeper into it there is not a consistent line between jack mm. and who he becomes mm. or even the different shades of the joker as you progress through um but as you say he's he is a figure of chaos so that's not necessarily a bad thing mm. um but uh, but yeah, it's, I, I think there is there is inconsistency in the character. So maybe the fact that there was more consistency in the voice balanced that out a little bit. Hmm. Well, as you said that uh, one of the things you didn't like about uh, Killing Joke was that even though they do give you this sort of, it's not exactly a definitive, but it's a, a definite possible. Uh, it still seems like just a few pieces of the overall puzzle of what led him. Yeah, to that. In, in terms of the backstory, I. It left me feeling like I needed more. Mm. That what happened, while tragic, was not enough to make um, a man who had simply loved somebody and then lost them. Mm. There had to be more to it than that. And I think a lot of it is actually buried in this idea that he uh, he gave up um, a, a steady job doing whatever it was he was doing mm. um, and and tried to put himself out there as a comedian and had rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. It tried to follow go, his dreams. Exactly. It yeah. doesn't go into that in masses of detail, but I suspect that that is where the seeds of the Joker's uh, psychopathic um, personality lie rather than simply in the fact that he lost his wife and child. Well, there's a one part where where he's going back to his wife and telling her that he's um uh he didn't get the job and so forth and he's just switching back and forth uh, back and forth between incredibly angry and pathetic mm, and angry aggressive. and pathetic and he's clearly not entirely stable and then he's forced into this position uh to to uh, basically lead these guys to the chemical plant and then his wife died and he's still forced into it anyway even though he, he finally feels he can get out he then can't mm. and then everything that happens to him it's just enough to snap but as you say Sharon there's clearly a lot more background to that that, that it must have been a whole rake of stuff that happened to him that led him to that point mm. but I you, you, obviously you don't get that in the book because it's not long enough but yeah. I, I don't honestly think we ever will do because that would reveal too much about who the Joker actually was, whereas with this, it's just one possible... It's hints, yeah. Well, no, they yeah, said the same thing about Wolverine up to a certain point, and then suddenly mm. we get all this backstory with Origin. I think, though, the because of the way the killing joke is written, and because it is quite... It, it could be argued to be quite superficial in a way. It is very short, um, and it, it does look at, at um, some extremely intense situations through a, a sort of a very tiny lens you only see little fragments of what's going on um and i i think that that is in a way it's a weakness but i think if you're willing to try and 
how do I want to phrase this? I think the mistake is to try and put the fragments together in order to make a cohesive story. Mm. What you actually need to do is pull back, look at the fragment, and try and fill in for yourself what lies in the darkness around the fragments. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that seems intentional. Especially for Batman, yes. (laughs) Uh, Loretta, you were going to say something just before... uh, Oh, I was... uh, I completely forgot, to be honest. I think it was a... um, it was going to be about this uh, this one thing he says. Um, oh my god, I just I just lost it again. Um, but he says something about how how when he was working in the chemical plant and stuff, how how it did things to him while working there, like how he thought it was such a horrible and dark place, yeah. and he doesn't want to be somewhere like that again. So mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that obviously left sort of a psychological impact on him already. And so it's like it's like Sharon and, and Matt were saying, like there's. There's definitely more pieces to the puzzle. A lot of them are more subtle than the rest, and a lot of them are still shadowed. But I think that may have been another piece, too. I mean, um, the fact that he's stuck in this chemical plant at the worst time of his life. Well, uh, he even says, um, I had to fill in the word hell, or uh, imply it. He, he starts to say in the comic, it looks like hell. And he's talking about how what the factory looks like through his red-tinted glass. Considering his situation where he is right now, uh, having just lost his wife, being thrown in with criminals in a situation he doesn't want to be in, being in a place he doesn't want to be in, very, very dangerous, surrounded by the, uh, this you know, really oppressive, horrible industrial landscape, stuck inside uh, a, a, a costume where he can't even breathe, that's hell right there. And it's like he never really escapes from that. The only real escape is madness. But I think that that's, um, again, if you, if you pull back and look at what surrounds that, I think he's reached the point there of, um, it's only when you've lost everything that you're free to do anything. And I think that kind of tips him over into, um, that it's, it's almost Tyler Durden, who is obviously also a very well known chaotic figure. Mm. Um, that tied that, in with the Joker as well. Exactly. Yeah. But the, the idea that, um, when you've been through this sensation of having everything taken away from you, all of the stuff that has been making him angry all this time and all of the, the things that have, have built up. And I, I would imagine that from the way he talks about the chemical factory, uh, that, that, there's something that's been building up in him possibly through working there as well um that it just like you say he retreats into madness but i don't necessarily think that it's really a a retreat it seems to be more uh right okay i'm now going to do what i really want a rejection and there is nothing there that can stop me anymore so you have to have already done or attempted life beforehand you can't just be this this kid raised by maniacs who keep you entirely sheltered you have to have at least tried to and failed Mm -hmm. to be part of society and been subjected to how incredibly uncaring it is to just then reject it and go right out of this okay let's, let's go back to the book here because um, we've jumped all over the place with this <laughs> one. sorry sorry <laughs> that's all right um it's yeah because it all interlinks um actually what you were saying about the um the duality of um the the batman and versus his villain i think it's quite telling that the main recognisable criminal that they walk past before they get to the Joker is Two-Face. The bit where uh, he's playing cards, I actually literally got a pack of cards and started noisily and loudly playing solitaire uh, in front of the uh, mic for that. And the guy playing um, Frightened Inmate Number 2, which is a reference to Tobias from uh, Arrested (laughs) Development, uh, is uh, Matt Wetter, who I'm going to make a habit of uh, having Batman beat up 
at least once per um, <laughs> drama. Uh, each time. I've seen that guy. He's built like a brick shit house. He, he is, can take it. But for some reason, he's able to make this extremely weasley sounding criminal voice. And I've, I've asked him to do it's... it the same each time if he can. Uh, but he's the guy that Batman pulls a gun on and shoots in the shoulder at the beginning of Breakdown. He's this guy who's the frightened inmate number two. And um, nearer the end in the montage when Batman's searching for Joker, he's the um, uh, thief number two, Don Senior. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, starting with the uh, la, 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 frightened inmate number two from part one. Um, I'm just going to go for it and hopefully you can use what I put out there. That's what she said, and um, if this is pants, please let me know. I won't be offended because this mic is the same one from last time, which I think we had some trouble with. Um, but yeah, I will try. Yeah, just you know, if it's not good, let me know, and I will re-record as many times as you need me to, because I'm nice like that. Okay, let's start with. Frightened inmate number two. Hey, hey! No. Yeah, start again. Hey, Mr. Simpson, sir. Hey, 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 wait a minute. Don't you touch me. I got rights. You're not allowed to touch me. Touch me. That sounded a bit bad. Let's try that without the pause. Hey, 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 wait a minute. Don't you touch me. I got rights. Sorry, that's my stutter kicking in, damn it. Right, let's try that one more time. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Uh, don't you touch me. Uh, I got rights. You're, you're not allowed to touch me. I did the pause again, god damn it. Right, let's try that one more time. Is, uh, like see- you like to see a picture of it? I would, I mean, because cause I've heard the voice multiple times and I'm like, this can't be right. Like, it, it doesn't was- fit. It doesn't no. fit. I can tell and you that. I'll ask now. everyone to give pictures of themselves, and I could do like a little um, uh, animated or a slideshow of who everyone's playing and who everyone is, because that'd be fun. <laughs> that sounds like fun. And then after that, after he grabs and manhandles uh, frightened inmate number two, we get to meet the man himself, Jim Gordon. Matt, what was it like preparing for this role? I was crapping myself, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Well not, only do I have to, well, not only do I have to uh, do a convincing American accent, I have to make myself considerably older than, than I am. I mean, I'm not I'm not a young man. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm mid thirties. So I'm not I'm not a kid. But I trust I'm you not, grew a handlebar moustache for this. I, I I did let my my beard grow out a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was just a case of I just recorded myself a few times, just trying to get the. Uh, the accent right to me that was the most important thing mm-hmm. get the accent right and then I could which I, I don't think I, I got perfect but I think I did a reasonable job of getting an American I accent I think so, you did a very good job my so uh, uh, mm-hmm. accent isn't way pronounced in the uh, yeah and that's really what I, I thought I, I watched the, the the Nolan trilogy uh, just beforehand and I kind of listen to him I was kind of focusing on him a little bit because that's kind of I knew that would be what you had in your mind is, is what you wanted to sound like so uh, I tried to I tried to do my best this close I could to Gary Oldman which is a, a long way short I've no doubt but uh, well he's very understated and you actually yeah. you really did manage to capture a lot of that there's well, that's my, what I was trying to do certainly I'll tell you my favourite line when it comes up but it's near the end of the book where you, your delivery is superb it's like I'd like to thank the academy at that point well, thank you oh, thank you <laughs> but um, yeah well, I, yeah well, Part of it is that, of course, I'm, I'm doing, 
I mean, just the, the, the first bits, the, 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 certainly the bit in, in the apartment. Yeah. Early on is just talking and that was, that was really relatively easy to do because that was just the, I could just sit there. I could just look at stuff and get my head in, into what I was doing, but I couldn't get someone to beat me up and still manage to record into the microphone because i have been getting thrown away. I wouldn't have recorded <laughs> properly. So, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't actually physically do the things that, that was happening to him at any other point really. So that it was kind of difficult trying to, Sim, uh, simulate being hit and punched and kicked and stuff when I wasn't being without actually physically punching myself in the face which I didn't really think was a great idea <laughs> I did actually occasionally um, have to punch myself a bit to um, to get to feel really beaten up as uh, yeah. and, and I, was, I was kind of I was kind of punching myself in the leg a little bit and stuff, but I couldn't yeah. really just clock myself in the jaw because I've got to go to work and talk to people on the phone and stuff afterwards and you know just wake up and not feel like crap so I mean you only have to give yourself a tap you don't actually have to punch yourself <laughs> out here just like a little shock so that your system so that you you're reacting to that physically oh, yeah do you, do you know what you also don't have to do Alex is grab people by the collar and hold straws to their jugular it was a drinking straw what was I going to do <laughs> Okay, uh, moving on to the next page, we've got uh, Bob Bonus, who's never named in the book, but I figured it's the Bonus Brothers Carnival. Maybe he's the one remaining brother, and he's just selling it off. Uh, and he's called Bob because of Bob Kane, creator of Batman. And uh, he's played by Daniel Floyd, one of my favorite people ever, and uh, who is um, Tim Drake in uh, Batman Breakdown and the upcoming follow-up to that. And uh, we're really looking forward to absolutely running him ragged in the epic conclusion <laughs> to that series. Shh, you're not supposed to let people know that you're going to be mean to the, your actors. I'm not going to be mean to him. I'm just never going to let him sleep. Just going <laughs> to keep badgering him with notes. <laughs> Look, we we want him to be a good new Batman. We we don't want to turn him into another one of the crazies, okay? But in all seriousness, um, I, one of the ideas I'm, you know, no, you know what? Keeping that one to myself. I was going to say, spoilers. Yes, spoilers. <laughs> also, I might not use that idea at all. So you'll be like, well, why didn't you do that? That sounded really good. I asked um, Dan Floyd to sound like E.B. Farnham in Deadwood. So, uh, Matt, you haven't seen Deadwood yet, have you? No. See Deadwood. Uh, Sharon, you can at least attest that he sounds quite a lot like him. He does sound an awful yeah. lot like him. Excuse me, gentlemen. Um, forgive me for interrupting your repast. I'm E.B. Farnham, mayor and hotelier. And I know you are George Hurst. Yes. Allow me a moment's silence, Mr. Hurst. Sir, I am having a digestive crisis and must focus on suppressing its expression. You know, I'm positive you won't regret this purchase. This place isn't that dilapidated. Some of these rides are still pretty sturdy. Really, this could be one hell of a carnival. Just this nervous kind of guy who uh, who gets this sort of slightly greedy uh, glint in his eye when he realizes that he might be able to actually extort some money out of Joker for this worthless theme, death trap of a theme park. And uh, then we cut to the first um, flashback. Now, originally, as written, I was going to wait until after Barbara had been shot and then do all the flashbacks at once in a row. And at some point, I started to think, am I patronizing my audience too much? Can they cope with it? And several people have said it took me a while to work out what was going on. So I think they could cope with it, but it was more of a challenge to them than if I'd just done it in one way. I think, though, that's such a significant change that if you had done it that way, you would have had to answer to the people who had read the book. Yeah. 
But I, I didn't want to make it seem like, hey, you people, I don't really trust you to be able to keep up. You know, I, I want to trust my audience. If anything, I want to trust my audience a bit too much. That's always better than the reverse, I'd say. Yeah. I agree with Sharon. I, I honestly, the flashbacks are some of my favorite parts. And I think that the way you put them together, like, actually frame the scenes pretty well. Um, especially that part where you're saying, you know, it's going to be a new life for me. And then it fades in and it's the way the ambulance goes. It's almost, it's almost like a, um, foreshadowing to what's going to happen to him in the next part of the flashback too. Every time the flashback fades out to something else, it's relevant to what it's been attached to. So reshuffling the flashbacks would ruin that. You'd have lost all of that. So much of it was also linked to the visual cues as well though. So obviously I was like, well, if it's just in audio, I can probably get away with it. But then suddenly if it's a motion comic, if I'd, I suppose I would have re-reordered it again if I'd, I'd realised I was going to do it as a motion comic. But I think I just realised near the end, sorry, I'm just going to do it straight through and make it as close to the original as possible with the minimum of shuffling. Um, and the piece of music I used at the uh, beginning part was Nelly the Elephant. Um, and what I did was I just combed YouTube for a bunch of old circus and fairground organs. And there are people who love and curate these things and have these, uh, you know, um, they just sit with their video cameras watching these, you know, these things that no one else really cares about, but they care about deeply. And, that, you know, they don't know that these things are incredibly creepy. Or if they do know, they don't care because they, they, they are resplendent of happy times to them. And I'm sure that they weren't thinking, well, someone could use this for a really creepy fairground token in to, a killing joke. To be fair, it didn't sound all that creepy when you started. In fact, part of the reason that you had to distort it was because it didn't sound creepy enough. True. I actually had to slow it down ever so slightly to make it sound a bit off key as well. Uh, but it's Nelly the elephant because he ends up sitting on a pink elephant. And it's like, look, if we, I can't show you the elephant, but I can at least allude to the elephant. And then next, all of the flashback sequences uh, contain the music from... Matt, did you recognize this film? Or Loretta? No. It was The Prestige. Oh, I just wow. thought it's all, it's Christopher Nolan. It's all about obsession. Well, all Christopher Nolan films are about obsession, but um, it just it plays with time and goes back and forth. And it's about uh, you know showmen who experience tragedies, often involving women. And I thought, yeah, that is the Joker's music. It's this really sort of creeping, atmospheric, almost it almost sounds like ambience a lot of the time. Uh, it's, it's not really got a tune to it. It's more just the sort of intensity. Um, okay, so the music for The Prestige is uh, written by David Julian, and uh, it, like I said, if you have watched the Dark Knight trilogy and you're a fan of them, The Prestige is very similar in tone to a lot of that, specifically the whole the, the, the obsession elements to it. Right, if, if anyone's got the 2008 edition in front of them, they really emphasise the tripe that Jeannie has got in that bowl in front of her. It's like she's, she's sifting through offal, possibly to make meatloaf, Maybe just for a nice bowl of intestines. I don't know, but it's it's a really great way of emphasising how depressing that uh, uh, environment is. It just seems like it would be um, damp and smelly, and just no place for a, 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 a young expectant mother. Mm. And the Joker voice doing Jack really hard. Just really hard. How do you go back from the Mark Hamill Joker and uh, discover the guy he was before that and still stay true to the existing performance? 
uh, I had to I had to work at it hard a lot, and there were there were several cuts I had to uh, take out because I sounded too much like Sharon. Um, I can't remember. Mo. Oh yes. <laughs> oh god. It yes. was a great job. It was a real idea? great job. That was there was the oh. one line. <laughs> And it was just like that's that's totally my you can't leave that in there. <laughs> Tomorrow I'll be rich. They used to call me Kid Gorgeous. Now I'm Kid Gruesome. <laughs> and then finally Kid, Kid Mo. <laughs> so yeah, that was a really really tough one to do, and I had to do all the actual acting bit um, without Sharon there, all of the crying. Um, and this is another thing that I'm going to change for my next one. The first uh, one, Breakdown, I did. Um, a lot of people were uh, performing directly to me. I didn't usually use my takes, but I used theirs when they were performing to me. And it was always the second take. We'd go through once as a practice, and it would just be laughing and trying to get the lines out. Then the second take would be perfect, and then the third take, they'd be getting a bit tired. This time, I just <laughs> basically... Yeah. Except my line, my final line is Alfred, pretty much, before I get shot, which took fucking forever. It did as well. And again and again and again. There's, we oh, we God, drifted in and out of Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, give it a gun, son. Give it a gun. Right, come, on come on now. Come on. <laughs> all right, boys. All right. So, yeah, Alfred's harder to do than you might imagine. And I'm so glad I could get Matt back to do it uh, again. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, um, this time I thought, right, this is basically just a Batman and a Joker soliloquy the whole way through with occasional supporting characters. So I'll just send out the lines to people with some direction. And what came back, yeah, the first time was always a little bit off. The second time was spot on. And sometimes they'd send to me a third time and it'd be off again. I'd be like, you know what? Second time was best. That might just be the magic number. But um, next time, I'm going to do it like Andre Romano. I'm going to get for everyone involved in this scene into one Skype call. Everyone's going to record at their end and we will basically bounce off each other and I can give direction on the fly so that I can there can be a unified uh, sensibility to each scene so that everyone knows where they're at. That way, they, people won't be um, supplying one completely different in tone voice. For I mean, the thing um, one that springs to mind immediately was James Batchelor uh, playing the cop, uh, Detective Moore, telling the Joker that his wife had just died. The first performance he gave was really, really good, but it was compassionate. It was like, "I'm so sorry, sir." Your wife has just died. Is there anything we can do for you? And it's like, no, 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 James, that is not the point. The whole point is, it's just this gruff old detective who comes in and goes, <clears throat> your wife's dead. Uh, I feel really awkward about this. Uh, Have a drink. Go, go see her body at the hospital. You know, it's this, it's incredibly uncaring. And James totally took that on board and he went away and he sent me back uh, another take on it and spot on the, 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 the next time. Um, but if I'd been there at the time, I could have told him. So, yeah, next time I'm, it's going to be a lot more hands-on, a lot more everyone in it together. Because I think that'll be more fun as well. And more of a sense of sort of everyone sort of striving towards this thing. Because I feel like this was very disparate and that everyone was doing their bit, but miles away from each other. I think it's different when it's something you've written, though. Because I remember what you were like when um, uh, when we were making Breakdown. <laughs> and that was so totally your baby. Yeah. You had a very particular idea about how you wanted the lines delivered from the word go. Mm. Whereas I think with this, yes, you had a firm idea of the ultimate 
um, uh, tone of it. But I think you were very conscious that a lot of the people that were going to be in it had also read it many, in some cases, many years ago. So would have their own interpretations on it as well. And you're willing to, um, to hear their takes on it first before you started saying, well, tweak this and tighten that and Mm. bring that down a bit and raise that a little. It'd be interesting because Hush, obviously, is it's another uh, writer's baby again. So I'm going to have to accept uh, that there is going to be a lot, of, a lot of other people's perspectives on it. But also, if we do it as a group, then other people can can sort of say, actually, I kind of like the way they're doing it on that. And I'm not the kind of director who's super controlling about absolutely everything. <clears throat> um, Oi! Ten <laughs> percent is a lock. The rest is negotiable. Scorsese said that. It's good advice. Ten percent of stuff I'm absolutely certain has to be done in a specific way. The rest is all negotiable. So that's my style from now on. Anyway, Sharon, what was it like being genie? Um, it was. Was it tricky? It was. It was interesting to do it um, and try and make it very different from. Uh, the character that I played in Breakdown, actually. Because mm-hmm. I think you possibly have a tendency to see me in the uh, caring, compassionate support role. Not that I'm saying I'm afraid of getting typecast. Hey, I, I cast you as street girl. Yeah, all right, there was that too. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to write that line. And also, you put a Harley spin on it before I knew that Loretta would also I like to play even, Harley. I didn't even realise Harley was what I was doing until I heard it back and went, oh Well, my honey, God. you really sounded like her, I can ah! tell you right now. God, that's good, okay. <laughs> that's um, so, sorry, Sharon, you were saying that I cost you as the maternal caring figure. I wonder why I'd do that. Well, I was, I was actually going to say, I don't think that that's entirely your fault because, um, I, my interpretation on how Jeannie would deliver those lines, mm. um, I think was possibly not quite what was intended in the book because, it, yeah, I think there is, um, there's a slight disparity between the words that Alan Moore puts in Jeannie's mouth and the way, uh, Bolland draws her. Um, and it was, it was interesting trying to work out a balance between those, um, those images because her expression to me in, in a, a couple of those panels seems almost sarcastic. Mm. Um, and I actually, the, the first time I read the book, I, my immediate thought was that Jeannie was actually a lot harsher with him, a lot harsher with him than I actually eventually ended right, up yeah. presenting her. Um, and that, that she would actually be not, not even necessarily, not even, not outright angry or anything like that, but just patronizingly unsurprised that he hadn't got the job. The way I interpreted it is that if this was anyone's memories, it would be the Joker's or somewhere locked in the back of his mind. And if it, that was the case, he would idealize Jeannie to the point where she would come off as this sort of caricature of maternal uh, nurturing and support, even in the face of all of his um, pathetic uh, failure to uh, be the breadwinner. His whole outlook at that point um, is very... That's traditional, I suppose, is the word I'm looking for. But I mean, if you if you think about it, the fact that Gotham is always presented as this very 1950s 
environment, that's not really surprising. Um, Between but, 30s and 50s. Yeah, but but the idea that um, that he's sort of taking it all upon himself, that it's it's up to him to get them a better life and, you know, it's... It, there are other ways to look at that scenario. Um, I mean, if, if he's finding it so hard to um, to achieve what he really wants to achieve, and it's getting to him that much, uh, there's there's other things he could do during the day. Most comedy clubs operate at night. You know, go and get an office job during the day. Go do the the comedy thing at night, or. or you know, um, and she's only three months pregnant. Why isn't she still working? That's what I wanted to know. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, it's. I think she she does give this this sense of if if you read it a certain way, she does give this sense of of support and and um, and understanding and the, the pressure and the the need to get them a better life and to to get out of this environment that he hates so much again that all comes from him and i think that kind of backed up my my reading of him that there was far more at work here than simply you know things weren't going his way and then his wife died mm. um that 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 was something that um the, this desperate need to achieve something very very specific in an extremely competitive um uh, field that that comes from somewhere you know the basis for his mind snapping i think was was all very already very firmly in place and i think playing her as somebody who was very supportive and and very nurturing um, kind of emphasise that by way of relief for me, or at least that's what I was thinking when I um, when I did it. <clears throat> Moving on to the actual Joker voice when we come out of this um, flashback. When I originally did uh, Joker at the end of Breakdown, it was supposed to be kind of the cherry on top of the cake. It was like, you've gone through all of this, and I'm going to give you Joker at the very end. I never really thought, should I make give the Joker a voice that's entirely original? Uh, I, I figured I'd give Batman a voice that wasn't just doing Kevin Conroy, principally because I can't really do the Kevin Conroy voice. When I do, I sound like a British guy trying to sound too American. And that there are times when I can I can hit it, but most I can't do it for absolutely everything. Um, but with Joker, I can do a version of the Hamill uh, Joker, and I just figured rather than at this late stage in the game, trying to reinterpret Joker and, and, and give my spin on it, um, if I just give people a voice where they're like, that's Joker, right away. No explanation required, that's Joker, and I know exactly where he's coming from at this stage and what his mindset is like. Um, just to sort of to, to bring it to a point where if you can believe that it's actually Joker you're listening to, then you can believe the events that happen at the very end of Breakdown. So retroactively going back, I couldn't then change that Joker voice to fit into an, an earlier version of the same character. It's all supposed to fit into the same universe. Uh, and also, I really want to see Mark Hamill do this. So this was kind of like sort of, I wonder what would happen. I guess it would sound a little bit like this. <laughs> and I'm all I'm doing is I'm Paul Reiser in the club going this is what Mark Hamill would sound like shamelessly cribbing on him but it's more just sort of this desperate childlike wish to actually hear him do it myself but that I mean if you think about it you when you're working in audio drama you are effectively drawing somebody else's comic 
Yeah. So mm. you're using sound as, as your medium, but you are drawing somebody else's characters. It is not a flawed thing to use voices that will be instantly recognizable to the majority of people mm. to personify those characters. It's, it's no, um, it's no more copying than somebody doing a tribute Superman comic strip and making him wear blue with a red cape. No, that's more about the fact that he's iconic. That's that's something that never changes across the board. Even when they do change him into Lightning Superman, they change that back around. It Are rotates. you saying that Mark Hamill is not iconic as the Joker? I'd say it's more um, me doing a, like a Beatles tribute band. <laughs> <laughs> the bootleg Beatles. This is me, the bootleg Mark Hamill. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, I had Dan Floyd do these little gasps after he'd been given the Joker uh, toxin because how do you make the sound of someone who has been like is forced into a rictus grin just go it doesn't really work while the Joker is talking so I just had him do this sort of like in the background it's really creepy and then I pulled away all the music and all the other sound and all you hear is just that and I even did that with uh, Barbara later on so I could sort of tie the two together Um, then we cut to the Batcave and it's the music from the Batcave in Batman Begins and I got Tara Nelson who had previously done a GLaDOS voice I think she used a computer voice program via her computer and then tweaked it with uh, some audio program uh, to uh, be the back computer and I thought about this around about the same time that uh, Pacific Rim started doing the same thing so uh, it's it's the thing now kids GLaDOS is everywhere she will eventually take over I had to sort of present the thing that Batman was typing into the computer and how it was unknown in an audio fashion so I figured you know he'd just have it's Batman and he'd have a talking computer that was a big thing in the 80s as well computers that would that would talk to show that you were in the future <laughs> She's going to be the voice of Skynet. Yeah. Oh hey. my god, that would. When great. it takes over the world, it will talk like Lados. <laughs> the really- scariest as- thing beyond all reason. Hey, as long as it sings that song at the beginning and end of it each day, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> One really um, disconcerting thing about Alfred is he never ages. If you look at him here, he looks the same age as he does in the current comics. Which obviously they retcon, but even before the new 52 and it went and changed it to all happening in five years. So he doesn't age. Even Gordon ages. He's got red hair in the comics now. But, uh, but Alfred always stays the same age. So Matt, fortunately you don't have to uh, master too much of a range. Excellent. Did anyone uh, else notice in, in, uh, the picture where he puts the playing card down? Yeah. Um, it's a picture of like, I'm guessing it's the 70s Batman cast or something, but it's it's got Bob Kane's name in the corner of oh, the picture. I'm looking at it now. Jesus, yeah. you're right. It's the original Batwoman. Yep, the original Batwoman. And then there's... Who's the other one in, next to Robin? I guess... Like, Batgirl. It's the original yeah, Bat-Hyphen. Batgirl. Oh, I see Batgirl, Batwoman. That would be Barbara. That's yeah. the original Bat, Batgirl, not um, Barbara Gordon. It's Bat-Hyphen-Girl, not... Not oh, right. different character. It was the niece, I think, of the original Batwoman, who basically... Jesus. Well, the original Batwoman became Batwoman basically to... Because um, she fancied Batman and wanted to, to snare him with her feminine wiles. And I think her niece did want to do the same for Robin, I believe. So this is prior to the Adam West show's Barbara Gordon being yeah, transmuted yeah, 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 yeah. to the comics, where they were like, yeah. right, that's a really good idea. So they, they took the librarian, Bob Batgirl, who was doing her thing, 
independently of Batman and then got taken into the fold. And then you got on the top, on Batman's shoulder, Batmite. Yep. And Ace the Bat Hound on the floor, of course. Of course, mm. Ace, who uh, turns <laughs> up in uh, Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. That is an old dog. He's got an ace up his sleeve, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I'm, you're here all week. <laughs> and uh, a slightly younger looking Alfred and a, and, uh, a blonde haired looking Commissioner Gordon there. And of course, Dick. Can't get away without uh, a bit of Dick Grayson there. Uh, that's the only actual appearance of Robin in this book, aside from that. I think it was actually Jason at the time. So uh, he'd, he'd have been the uh, Robin available if there was one. Uh, for eagle-eyed folks watching the motion comic, I wish I didn't have to point out my own gaffes, but I'd rather do this here than have someone else tell me. Um, because I reordered the um, uh, pictures ever so slightly to draw out the end and to abbreviate the beginning, Batman takes off his gloves, then he holds up the Joker card wearing a glove, then it cuts to him without gloves again, then he puts it down wearing a glove again. So I'm just going to explain that uh, Batman... Is very he's in two minds as to whether he wants to wear a glove, but he's not going to pick up that card without putting his gloves on because otherwise he'll get fingerprints on it. Uh-huh. Ah. <laughs> nice, neatly covered, sure. Um, and yeah, this is uh, Matt's only lines as Alfred here, and um, uh, lovely bit of uh, a Batcave ambience. I use the same um, uh, ambience from uh, it's this one cave in the world that makes these really eerie sounds. And I transpose that with a bit of limbo, same as I did for the Batcave in uh, Breakdown. And um, and then this time I put in uh, the Batman Begins music. Then we cut to the big scene. I kind of wish I got you guys together to do this one because uh, there was a lot... I, I had to ask Lorette to do these lines again and again because this was like the key scene. And you had to balance it between... You, you tell us. A, a bit, the balance, basically. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... so um. Oh, let me begin by first saying I have a very terrible relationship with my father. So having to go into this thinking, okay, I'm concerned for my dad and I have to balance Sorry. very narrowly. No, no, it's all right. It's all right. You didn't know. Um, but very narrowly, I have to balance because I know I'm bad girl, but he doesn't know I'm bad girl. I've had to deal with the Joker before, although he terrifies me, obviously still. Um, so does Jim not know that this. she's bad girl at this point? Jim does not know I'm bad girl at this point. No. You know more about um, Batgirl than me, Jesus. Okay. I knew um, that he didn't know in the animated series during that one over the edge, but I didn't realize that at this stage he still didn't know. No, he doesn't. Obviously he doesn't because if he did, um, he'd, he'd definitely be more concerned for Barbara. He'd be paying more attention to her. Yeah, and uh, I think if I were him, I would be watching her like a hawk to make sure she doesn't try to go out there and stop him herself. Yeah. Um, this is, and, uh, I did take a cue from you. I, uh, I, I read, uh, number 39, the new 52, mm-hmm. uh, where she, it's the girls night out and they, Oh, that's great. Brave and the bold number, which one was it? Cause we got uh, a number 39. Okay. No, Brave and the bold 30. number 39. It was like 2009. Yeah. 2008, 2009, I think. Just before they went to the new 52, it is yes. a flashback story where Diana, Wonder Woman, um, and, uh, Zatanna. Zatanna and Batgirl go out dancing. And it becomes apparent at the end that Zatanna has had a vision of what's going to happen 
to Batgirl, to, to Barbara, but she can't prevent it happening because she's important as Oracle in the future. So she'd be screwing up the uh, an important piece on she, the plane. She doesn't have enough information about it either. She says that she can see what's going to happen, but she yeah. can't see when, she can't see why, what the triggers are, anything. And she doesn't know what it links in with. It's a heartbreaking issue. And then at the, at the end, Barbara uh, wakes up way later and uh, remembers that this dream that she has where she was dancing because of this one night. And it's so sad. Loretta, carry on. Uh, I had that dream again. I, I was dancing, you know, it was, it was, that, that part really hit me hard. And so I'm thinking she's just come back from this, this night out with the girls and she's keeping that in her head. And she's also worried for her father because she just found out about this as well. Um, She's worried as Batgirl. She doesn't have a plan. She's not entirely sure what to do. She hasn't heard anything from Bruce yet. Um, and so she's keeping all of that tension under the surface and at the same time, you know, worried sick about her father. So I'm having to pull all this in together. And at the same time, I'm using I'm, I'm using a $4 mic that I bought on Monoprice. Uh, well, my boyfriend bought for me on Monoprice a, a while back. So... I've got inferior equipment, <laughs> but it's, it's good for, for, for what I paid for it. Um, but it's not it's, sounding terrible right now. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But then um, again, I'm talking on a, an eight pound mic, so it's not much better. As a, I, I bought a blue snowball and it sounds crap on Skype on, on uh, conference calls. <laughs> Why? I spent all that yes. money. <laughs> Matt, are you using yours right now? No, I'm using my uh, my headset because if I, I mean, it sounds fine, but it's really really quiet and therefore basically useless. So my my sixty quid snowball mic just sits on the shelf most of the time. Same. Okay, it does look gorgeous. Oh, it looks awesome, awesome but... and it was so good for recording this stuff. But um, yeah, the difference is huge between this and the, and the Logitech. Carry on, Loretta. Sorry, but uh, I had to do multiple takes because this also catches all sorts of sounds from the sides, and I have two roommates. One of whom has a little little four year old daughter who's very sweet but also oh, very loud. So I and would you have... had to simulate being shot and panicked breathing. And I, I sent you this email saying, "Okay, that... this is the creepiest email you ever get. I'm going to need about two minutes of you panting in terror." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, more panting. Honest... Honestly, that and the hospital scene were the easy parts for me because. Really? Uh, of course, you've just got to pant. It, it, it's not yeah. about intonation. I mean, it it did throw me into a minor anxiety attack. I have a tendency towards those. It's nobody's fault. It just happens. But um, it's easy for me because I can just go back into my childhood and when I was in the hospital. I, I had leukemia uh, oh, as a Jesus. child. I was six years old. Uh, been uh, been in remission for twenty years. Uh, pretty pretty well. But I just I just went back into into my mindset for that and just toned it up to be older to try to sound the way I did when I was in, in college and, and, and now, and, um, it worked. It worked for Batman. I did have to take a break afterward. I, like I said, I went into that place in my brain and I, I just used it. And then I came out, had myself a, a hot toddy and, and a bunch of chocolate and I was fine. Um, and then I went back and I did, a I did the, uh, I, I tried to do multiple scenes with Gordon. And at first I'm thinking, okay, maybe she's frustrated with her dad. He keeps, trying to go on with this but it was very difficult not having matt's lines there to react to because i feel like mm. i feel like part of this is she's she's trying to draw him out of this funk but at the same time she's ha she has to be reacting to him so it was see this is when uh, getting you two in a conference call would have been spot on i really mm -hmm. wish i'd done that sorry about that guys that's, a, that's well, a lot to ask you to to pull this performance out of thin air well like i said it, it really did help 
having having those lines. And for the the first two readings, I actually played his lines and just recorded myself reacting to them. Mm. And um, I tried to do multiple ones because I was worried that I was catching other things on my microphone, like the My Little Pony show in the background. Um, <laughs> Olivia, the little girl, was watching it, not me. Um, I only watch it when I come straight home from work because, like I said, happy. Um, but it was a uh, it was a very interesting experience for me because, like I said, I have a, I have a terrible relationship with my father. Um, but here I am having to step into this person who most of her life has been taking care of her father. Mm. Um, I don't remember how her mother died. I think she was shot. I looked it. Up, I looked the whole story up on YouTube, uh, not YouTube, uh, Wikipedia. Mm. And is I this that Barbara scenes. Gordon Senior we're talking about, or no? Actually, her literal isn't she his niece? It depends on on which storyline you go with, because I oh, yeah. think I think um, and a lot of them she's his adopted daughter, and some of them she's his biological daughter. Mm. She's but, at one point she's his niece, but um, effectively he she views him as as her father, and he basically yeah. adopts her. So. She's biologically his niece, but but effectively she's his daughter anyway. It, it would help if they didn't keep switching it around and they gave us a definitive. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, like but, just one storyline where it, it comes across as like, right, this is literally who you are to me. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to do that in the new Batman shows. Yes, uh, Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the style of those. I, I like the uh, I like the idea. I just oh, you I mean beware the, the Batman? Is that what those are? Because I mean, they're it's. When you uh, say they, the new Batman shows, is it CG animation? No, I think it's um, I think it's Flash, oh. and it's got Tara Strong doing the uh, doing the the voice of Barbara Gordon. Oh, hang on, are we talking about the uh, Brave and Bold here? I think so. Oh, what the the wacky Batman where he goes into space? I believe so. The one where they've got all like the the old like uh, Adam West type. Yeah, the Diedrich Bader uh, uh, oh. voice one. Yeah, that's it's very bright and colourful and very wacky and very much more um, Adam Westy. So, Matt, you watched a bit of it, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Any yeah. good? It's good. Yeah, it's no Young Justice, I'll admit. But thank I, you. I was... <laughs> <laughs> I've been bad. But no, I I did enjoy. It. It's it's um, it, as you say, it's much more light hearted than. Uh, anything else because everything else Batman he's just this mm. implacable miserable bastard but in this he's actually kind of not fun but he kind of understands what jokes are and kind of gets involved in them from time to time but it's not Adam West levels of stupid so he's actually pretty nice and you get so many other characters as well you've got Black Canaries in there Green Arrow Robin oh, yeah. Aquaman it's the entire cast it's kind of like the Justice League almost but centred on Batman well, I mean, I don't reject the wacky Batman out of hand. My, one of my absolute favourite Justice League episodes is this little piggy. <laughs> That's one of my favourites. God, that and, completely and blew selling... my fucking mind. I just didn't... I, I thought I'd taken drugs before I'd sleep or something. I've, I mentioned this one on the podcast before. Wonder Woman gets turned into a pig. And... Joker was going to be in that episode, and there's this, there was going to be this bit where he and the boys were sort of arranging this uh, this death trap prank on Batman, and then Joker glances down an alley, and Batman is talking to a pig, and he goes, "Pack it up, boys, we're going home." He's like, <laughs> I can't top that. And unfortunately, they didn't actually end up doing that because there was uh, some sort of restriction. They couldn't use the Joker because he was being used in The Batman at the time. Oh. So they couldn't get Joker into that show. See but, that? Uh, yeah, this little piggy, maybe one of the greatest 
funniest Batman Wonder Woman stories ever. With Zatanna as well. I love that. I love how uh, I love how Cersei was about to stop him too. She was like, she was like, okay, I think I think we've had enough of him. Zatanna's like, don't you dare make him stop. <laughs> yeah, because it's like the whole to to get. Oh, you know what? Just just watch that episode when we cover Justice League Unlimited, and we will. I'll be talking about that one more in depth. But uh, yes. Yeah. But, anyway, uh, so Boba Gordon getting shot. Yes. So. So at the beginning of the scene, when she's talking to her father, especially, I found I found a lot of the uh, um, the visuals to be a bit misleading mm. uh, because I mean you see a couple of her facial facial expressions, like when she's going to the door, she's smiling, you know. Yeah. Um, if I were going to the door at that point in the conversation, I would just be hiding my face and being like, "Okay, Dad, you're starting to get to me now," and that's that's how I tried to play that last bit. Yeah. Um. Scared the hell out of me. Yeah, you yeah, you, you know. went through that several times, but um, the balance was trying to get uh, the difference between trying to get your dad to stop fussing and at the, and at the same time trying to center yourself and, and not freak out about the fact that the Joker's loose. And there was a lot you had to juggle in this one scene. Mm-hmm. Like, especially, I'm thinking, like, I have to remind myself, I don't know that the Joker's behind this door, but the Joker's behind this door. Yeah. So. Uh, I remember doing the the U lines, and I'm like, okay, how do I do this? And I I did one that was terrified. I did one that was slightly surprised and pissed off, and I did one that was one of them sounded like a kitten. Yeah. Um, and it was just, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give him as many as I possibly can, and Alex can pick the best one out of these. Thank you. Uh, multiple and, takes I will always take over. Look, there's one take. That's my best. There you go. Yes. If you look carefully, the uh, picture of the Joker in the scrapbook uh, actually is resplendent of the artwork of Dick Sprang, which is the uh, uh, roundabout the, just prior to Adam West's run on uh, Batman. Well, the picture of Batman and the Joker in that is actually the cover of Detective, Detective Comics 27. Yeah. Which is obviously Batman. Uh, it's the first appearance of Batman, so... Yeah. And, and of cool. course, another wink to the fans is uh, the fact that that the uh, the latest clipping is a Vicky Vale exclusive. I did, yeah, I noticed that as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, um, everyone was all uh, about Vicky Vale in 1989, of course. scream too much for me she, she really even Lyra said why does she keep screaming <laughs> and Lyra's four anyway cut to the Joker and uh, one of the things that um, I hope people noticed about this if they were actually uh, reading the book when they were listening or if they watched the um, uh, it's, it's, it's more specifically if they read the book because with the uh, motion comic I can time the comic directly myself but with this I was trying to make it so that every single time someone did anything it was in the exact correct place sound wise um, with the actual story so that you could just read the book while uh, listening to it so when he holds the gu- you know opens the door holds the gun up click you bang glass coffee table shattering it all, all had to happen in a sensible time frame and this was another really, diff- really difficult scene to do because it, 
I didn't want to come off as the audio equivalent of Zack Snyder with Barbara falling in slow motion back into the table and just it seeming like exploitation. It was a really fine line to tread. And I, I didn't want to feel like I was being salacious in any way. And I, I, well, I'm frankly not even happy about um, putting this scene in at all. It's just, unfortunately, it's very, very important. I, I honestly appreciate you making it as quick and painless for me as, as humanly possible. Um, <laughs> I said don't actually throw yourself into a coffee table. Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I didn't do it. Don't. I promise you. <laughs> I didn't throw myself into anything. Um, like I said, I just went into that dark little space in my head and, and went to town. Mm. Um, but I, rem- I remember, like, doing this part and wondering, like, what what would it sound like for someone to be shot? Like, what, what kind of sounds do they make? So I, uh, I, I terrified my roommate one day. He, he came in while I was, I was searching for, uh, for, for something on YouTube. Just, just anything, any kind of sounds or whatever. He's like, what? Why are you looking at this? I'm like, are researching you for snuff porn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's go to the park now. Okay. Speaking of research, just above the, in the top right hand corner of the, uh, scene at the second page here after the Joker's come into the apartment, he pours himself a drink. And I went to YouTube and went, looked for pouring drink, pouring wine, pouring anything. And I, I looked under every combination of words. I found 50 CG renderings of wine being poured silently into a CG glass to, to sort of illustrate the liquidious, uh, movement. I didn't find any. I found a bunch of like chefs pouring out wine, but you could hear of the kitchen in the background. And it was just this all like in the end, I just like sod it. And I got a bottle in my kitchen and just poured. No, I didn't even use a bottle. I used a jug and a cup and just poured myself a, a glass of water close to the mic for that. Because it was like, I, I cannot believe that there's no like a single shot of somebody pouring themselves a glass or something. It's unbelievable. In some ways, I'm kind of relieved that someone hasn't put that on YouTube. <laughs> this is me pouring a glass. You can almost, yeah. almost get everything on YouTube. Yeah, almost. but it, it's surprising that you can't get it on there, but I'm kind of relieved that humanity hasn't done that yet. <laughs> oh, speaking of sound uh, effects, the Batmobile in this one is a Bugatti Veyron. Nice. Very nice. I, I, I had one car in mind when it was like, right, I need an engine for that. And I, I honed the internet for one which wouldn't have wind in the background mm-hmm. um and uh yeah so bugatti awesome car i had one piece of music picked out for this and that's the uh, do you know the bit in the dark night when um commissioner Loeb uh walks to the window and it goes no he's talking to harvey dent or possibly gordon and then it goes and then the batman impersonator wearing hockey pants uh comes slamming into the window and there's this spike and if you're listening to just the soundtrack it makes you jump out of your seat I had that timed directly to the gunshot, and it tied, and I tied that in directly with the bit where the Joker enters Harvey's apartment, and we are tonight's entertainment, and it's a, that's that kind of doom, 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 something bad and terrible's gonna happen. Now, although you already know something terrible's happened, because it's leading up to this atrocious thing the Joker does to her, it's like, oh no, no, there's worse. And so I wanted to sort of give that audio cue. And I tied it in very, very closely with Dark Knight in this. It was, um, there were several musical choices where I was like, well, I need to evoke Ledger's Joker and specifically the nature of Ledger's Joker that is explored in the Dark Knight, which gets laid down on the page right here. I wanted to tie the two together. Uh, so that's why I used that here. 
But yeah, really horrible scene for me to have to play Joker doing. It's not fun at all. He's basically being the, one of the creepiest, most, um, uh, ex- I can't even think of a word for it, exploitative, salacious, malevolent creatures uh, on the planet at this stage. Should we move on from this? I mean, Matt, you had to basically get beaten up and have a coughing fit at this stage. Yeah, which is pretty much what I did, really. I just, um, I figured that at this point I'd have basically no breath left in my lungs and a little chance to get any. So I just, I just didn't. I just sat there and, and coughed and spluttered and grunted and groaned with, with empty lungs as, as best I could. So, yeah. and, uh, and try to, I tried to simulate the sounds of me getting hit, but yeah. that's kind of hard to do without actually getting hit. So, yeah. and I've never actually, I've never been in a fight, so I don't know what I would sound like in that situation. So I was having to kind of make up a little bit. Well, I, uh, I used everything you sent me in some capacity. So, uh, yeah, it, was, it all was, was worth it. Well, I think you originally said you wanted four minutes, and I think I'll give you two. Yeah. T- solid two, plus a few other bits and bobs. I was really glad you didn't ask for any more, because it's really hard work. Some of the bits of that ended up later on, some of the later on bits yeah. ended up earlier on, so it's, it, it all yeah. came out in the wash. I was, honestly, I was, after that bit, I was sweating buckets. I was knackered. Because I'd just, not, I'd not been breathing, I'd been, I'd been, uh, just, barely breathing for like two solid minutes it was really you know what i'm not going to ask people to do this shit in the depths of summer anymore because it i I, at one point i got back from picking low up from school and i sat down like well i just need to record just a few joker lines i was like i can't do it i'm too hot i can't do anything like loretta you live in texas so it's always like that but in england we fear the sun we've never seen it before so when it comes out for more than two days at a time we freak out and we get hot and we start complaining and, and the sun puts out uh, uh, headlines like, oh, sorry, the sun is a crappy British newspaper, few water scorcher. And we get that. <laughs> Moving on. Um, gangsters Joe and Jake in this next flashback. Um, I think Joe actually gets name checked later on. So I thought I figured it would, uh, yeah, um, he'd be, he's the one with the handlebar moustache who's a bit more genial and seems a bit more friendly. Now Jake never gets name checked. Um, uh, in, in the book itself, but I just thought, right, he's got a rat-like face, he's thoroughly unpleasant. Who was that rat-like unpleasant guy back in college? Jake, that was it. I will immortalize you, you fucker. And he's one of those guys who, whenever I said anything in class, he'd repeat it in a funny voice and then snigger. And I'm like, dude, we're 20 years old. What is wrong with you? So yeah, Jake, if you're listening, um, this is you. <laughs> the actual eating bit I found uh, um, on YouTube and it's just a bunch of people eating different things and it's like um, grapes and fruit and crackers and things and I just thought it would be really annoying if people had to endure this sort of horrible munching sound in the background so that's why I made sure that it was very loud to, to ensure that there's because you know the, the shrimps are very um, prevalent in this scene it's very sort of a, a case they're just devouring these things and uh, so I wanted to make sure that that was in there I think the hardest thing was really um, to, to simulate the, the sound of the hood. Because how do you make the sound of a mask? I got a, a bag and I put one of our glass fruit bowls in it and then just sort of pulled it out. So it had that very, very faint sort of sound as it sort of came near the mic and then tapped it just to give it a sense that there was a sort of a fish bowl there. Listen very carefully when you listen to it again. That's uh, There is a bowl there. Um and that's all to say about that. Oh, uh, for the motion comic, I added extra vomiting. Um, 
if you listen to the uh, the original um, drama, uh, the guy puking into his own hand in this uh, second pic- uh, second page, uh, it doesn't. There's no sound, but in the motion comic, I was like, I've got to mention that because it's actually got a speech bubble attached to it. So there you go. I just added a bit of extra vomiting there, special edition, if you will. Uh, and then we cut to the hospital room. And Joshua Garrity, who, uh, Loretta, you, you need to see a picture of this guy. He is a, like a 22 year old, um, you know, 23. 23, he's just, just had, had a, a birthday. birthday. Gentle face, gentle voice, lovely chap who doesn't look at all like this doctor, or frankly sound like you'd imagine this doctor would sound. But I needed someone who'd sound, uh, professional yet compassionate, and, uh, Josh kind of spunk to mind. A little bit posh. Originally, I was going to get Giles to, but I got Giles to do the credits at the end to make him sound super official, and he ended up making the production seem much more professional as a result of that. Uh, but yeah, there's also a bit where the Doctor says, I'll be outside, which isn't in the book at all, but I wanted to explain that the Doctor wasn't just saying his thing and then just standing there while Batman and um, Bullock talk. Uh, in the In the pictures, he sort of wanders off and he's standing off to one side like a lemon, in the motion comic, look very carefully at that image. I have removed the Doctor through not especially professional means. There appears to be a sort of a, a water stain on the floor where the dis, where there's a slight discoloration with the difference in shading. But I couldn't just have the Doctor still standing there when I'd already said he was, he'd left the room. And that's the problem with doing it in audio first and then add, turning it into a comic. You, you're serving one master and then a completely different master again. I think I managed most of it without uh, any real issues. But uh, what I didn't want to do, and this is the same as Breakdown, is have anyone say something that they wouldn't say unless you couldn't see them. Like, uh, and I always bring up the Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back radio plays for this one. I can't believe it. I shot Darth Vader and the bolts just flew off his hand. Yes, you see the power of the Force. See, your blaster comes to my hand. It's like, he didn't say that in the film at all. They're just saying that so that they could explain it to folks who, for some reason, hadn't yet seen The Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah, that's the one thing I had to make sure didn't happen in the uh, <laughs> in any of the scripts, that, that they would say things that you just wouldn't say. And uh, Daniel Floyd came back again to play Harvey Bullock, who never gets name-checked in this. I just inferred that this was Harvey Bullock, because he looks like him and is, is doing the same things that Harvey Bullock would do. It's definitely Harvey, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, being a Gotham City Police Department fan, you're uh, you're well down with the bullock. I'm not entirely sure I want that to go <laughs> in the final show, but never mind. The, this next page and the next, the bit later on where uh, Batman goes to comfort sort of Jim shows how bad he is at this. He says, "Barbara, take it easy. It's okay." And she tilt, sets him straight and goes, "No, it's not okay." And um, later on, he says to Jim, Jim, are you still okay in the original script? And I changed that to Jim, can you stand? Of course he's not okay. He's a <laughs> wreck. He's naked. Joker's been torturing him for hours. He's a gibbering simpleton at this stage. Of course he's not okay, you prat. So, Although, yeah. in all fairness, that is the kind of thing people do actually say under such terrible, because well. no one's got a clue what to say. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You say it, and you know you don't actually mean that, and the person you're saying it to knows that it's not what you mean. But yeah. uh, you okay? 
I I remember uh, using a teddy bear for for the audition take is is what he used for this actually right yeah basically you nailed it the first time it's like I said on the night that you first contacted me via Facebook and said hey I'd like to do um, Barbara I said sure just um, if you got any lines from killing you had killing joke you knew the story you knew Barbara Gordon that impressed the hell out of me and your first take the only take made it into the final show none no one else's first take really ended up in the the final show this was just a yeah. tryout for for that one I, I i had my teddy bear i have a giant teddy bear and just i was pretending it was batman trying to comfort me and so i'm shaking it as i'm going into hysterics yeah. and that definitely helped just because you can see her in the comic she's 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 got him by the cape and she's like no you don't understand yeah, I said this to you um, when we were dis- discussing ways to actually tackle this. Moving your body and gesticulating is actually a really key part of doing voiceover acting if you're really trying to get into the character. Just sitting in a chair with your back straight and sort of... <clears throat> no, no, it's not okay. He's taking it to the limit this time. Uh, it's If you're not acting it out, almost like performance capture, you should sort of imagine that you've got the dots all over your face and that you've got cameras on you and you've actually got to be the character at that point. And yeah, with the teddy bear, you totally nailed it. One thing I did want to say, actually, about this was that, um, Loretta, your your delivery on this was absolutely key to selling Barbara's role in this story for me because... Specific though it is, and like I said, one of the the downsides of it being so short and so concise is that there are um, there are things that can't be explored because there just isn't enough time and there isn't enough space. But um, if you just look at uh, at Barbara as in terms of her her role in this story, she's this is going to sound very harsh, but she seems almost disposable. She's there in order to evoke a very strong reaction in. Gordon um, and if you don't take into account the whole Batgirl thing beforehand and you don't take into account the whole Oracle thing afterwards and I do think that where writers took her after this story was fantastic I love her as Oracle I think she's awesome um, but I think Loretta the fact that you were able to uh, to sell her as a whole person who has been somebody in the past and is going to go on to be somebody in the future kind of gave that that little slice of what's going on with her that much more body and that much more involvement for me, which was brilliant, frankly. Thank you, Sharon. Hearing that from you really means a lot to me. Thank you. I I, I love the Oracle stories. Um, when the, the terrible version of Birds of Prey came out on the WB... I, I watched every episode, oh God. <laughs> hoping I to haven't... see what they did with it. I was didn't that was, have Mark was... Hamill in it as the Joker at one point? I think so. I think like they had him do a cameo or something like in the background. Hmm. Uh, but they they just did a terrible job of it, and I I just was like, forget this. I'm going to go back to the comic books. Um, but to me, a lot of what happens in here, like I said, it's horrible the way she's treated in the comic, and like just what happens to her in this. Um, but uh, 39, The Brave and the Bold, definitely helped with, with the scene. And also, uh, this helps me get, helps give me, like, this is her never again moment. She is never going to allow something like this to happen again. Yeah. Especially as Oracle. She's going to be, um, as, as Oracle, she, she keeps Batman informed. She keeps, um, 
Dick and, and Tim in line, she tells them exactly what's going on. Oh, my God, of course. She never wants them to not know what's on the other side of the door. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's uh, no, that's yeah. Didn't we we prepared for this? I um I said this goes back to this moment that this might have shaped her to be Oracle. She's thinking about Joker, but she's not preparing herself for the worst. She's thinking about the worst, but she's not in possession of all the information. And thinking back to this point must have informed upon her decision to be in possession of all the facts and be as prepared as possible for absolutely everything. Yeah, and then. It really helped because putting that into perspective, I was trying to work backwards from breakdown. I, I listened to it several times um, to, to the point where um, where my roommates were knocking on the door like, are you okay in there? What, what have you been doing in there this, this whole time? I'm like, quiet. I'm listening to this. Um, but it helped that Alex pinpointed that to me and I just sort of went back and just – focused on that and was like I'm not Oracle yet I'm going to be there but I have to remember where like where where's her mindset at right now and and it was it, it wasn't easy and uh, definitely the part waking up in the hospital like I said I, I used my teddy bear and I just I went to town with a, little, with a poor little fella um but it it's it's not a fun place to go to in my head yeah. and um it's definitely, it, it's not a fun place for Barbara to be in in her head. But you can see where she draws that strength from. Mm. And that, that definitely helped, helped me form the character. And, um, I'm, I'm very glad I could, I could do her justice. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> I'm so sorry I had to keep sustaining you in this very, very small, brief period just of this, the most horrible thing. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I believe it was worth it in the end in terms of the, the end product that your hard work really shows in there. Okay, let's move on to more fun things. Carnival Freaks. Yes. Oh, yay! <laughs> uh, Matt Wetter, the guy who did the voice of the frightened inmate and the frightened thugs, did the voice of all of these guys. And I've got... <laughs> I've got all of his takes where basically he's just sort of... Uh, I'm going to use a lot of his stuff for the outtakes uh, because <laughs> he, it's just him sort of verbalising it and talking to himself. And he tells himself me. off. Yeah. He's like, no, that sounded rubbish. Let's try that one again. She's a babe. Right. Um, <laughs> that was terrible. Anyway. Um, la 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 la. Oh, sounds like a bloody gremlin. Let's forget that. Let's, let's try it one more time. Let's go for up, up, up. La 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 la. <coughs> up, up. Up, 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 up. Yeah, I think that's as good as you're going to get. But let's go to his version of the song. Oh dear, it's killing my throat. Which was? Oh no, <laughs> I don't know what that was. La 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 la. Now I think let's do a smeagol. Let's get that one again. Hap hap. Ah, no, that's, that sounds like that's not like the last one, doesn't it? Oh, I'm getting nowhere fast here. I overlaid his various freak characters all at once, and all he had to say was up, 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 down, down, down. 
But there was, he did so many. And it was like, right, I've actually ended up with ten freaks, not three. <laughs> I thought, that's all right. It gives it more of a tapestry. <laughs> I, I was going to have Gordon say, right, give, give me my pants back at some point, just to illustrate <laughs> that they were stripping it all off. But I was like, you know what? You don't want to add any levity to that scene, really. I don't want to make it funny. I could unintentionally make it funny, which is worse. Um, And the ultimately, you either know he's being stripped naked or you don't. And I'm not going to have it flagged, really, because it doesn't actually make a huge difference. It's just it's they've they've reduced him to the point where he's incredibly vulnerable, but that doesn't necessarily mean he has to be naked at this stage. so I, I just figured that Gordon referencing the fact that he was naked probably didn't feel natural enough to be worth it as a line. Give me back my goddamn pants. I really I'll splice that in. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God, Dad. I, I just finished ironing those for you. What did you do to them? I got paste all <laughs> over them. <laughs> Moving on. The, uh, the poor Bob Bonus is sat there. Now, has anyone got the 2008 edition in front of them? His face for this updated version is the man who laughs. The original uh, uh, black and white film, I think it's a silent film actually, that the Joker is is based on in appearance and, and ghoulish visage. Somehow, um, they, well, somehow it's called Photoshop. They have superimposed <laughs> Chap's face onto Paul Bob Bonus, and that's it's an integral part of who the Joker is, and that's a really lovely little touch. Hang on, what's the the man who laughs? If if you guys just Google the man who laughs, you'll see it right there. It's creepy as all hell. Oh my god! Yeah, there's the stuff of nightmares yep. right there, and that's Thanks. also. The... I'm not going to sleep for a fucking week. Cheers, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's also the uh, that they used that for the front cover of the Ed Brubaker uh, Joker story, The Man Who Laughs, which is all about the Joker just shortly after the events of the um, flashback here, actually. Uh, but yeah, previous fuck cover, frankly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's previous <laughs> fuck image. Creepy clowns. And I just need to give this guy his actual name, Conrad Veidt. Of course, Adrian Veidt. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's so obvious now. So yeah, uh, Gordon stripped to naked and paraded around in front of the carnival freaks, and then there's a "You're going mad." scene with the Joker and I played around with the sound here because I figured it was warranted because the idea is at this stage Gordon is starting to uh, hallucinate he's obviously he's uh, one little thing he's going to be really really dehydrated and thirsty they're not going to have given him any water just to get the, the, the essentials back into your body otherwise you do start to crack and that's exactly what the Joker does in fact I've just read uh, Batman the Cult which by the way I recommend uh, and part of the uh, way Deacon Blackfire breaks down uh, his cult members, including Batman himself, is to starve them. Because without food, eventually you start to, you accept things much more readily. Yeah, you've got the, the whole speech here he starts to give, and there's a, this wonderful soliloquy. I felt so honoured to be able to deliver it in the style, again, of Mark Hamill. Again, wishing Mark would do this uh, for us and, and hoping that this will eventually be uh, the case someday. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's this sort of musing on, on insanity. And it's what you said earlier, Sharon, about uh, um, Barbara being used and Barbara being um, more of a tool to uh, evoke a response from Jim Gordon. Uh, I made sure that once I'd done the original version of it and you weren't massively happy with the way Barbara came off uh, because of the story itself, that when Batman says, I've... Uh, 
I've just uh, I've spoken to Jim Gordon on the way in. He's fine. I changed he's fine to he's fine. Just a little subtle change uh, implying that you did manage to completely fuck Barbara Gordon, but your ultimate end that you've been thwarted on on this one. But I didn't just want him to have him say, your plan is thwarted. You're rendered minus a victory because they have taken a severe loss. And I wanted that to come across in just one small line. Um, it worked. Yeah, it, thank you. But, uh, what it is, it, uh, it worked very well. So uh, next flashback, back to uh, Gangster Joe and Gangster Jake, played by respectively Lauren Grieve and Alex Spencer. Um, and for some reason... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jake Alex Spencer was like them look like cuffs to you man and he said man after almost everything come on man and I, just listening to them in a row without anyone else talking in between I was like there's too many mans here too many I think he actually <laughs> slipped in one more man than there was written but all the rest of them are in the script so if you've got any issues take it up with more uh, but uh, yeah I think he sort of put uh, almost like a, a Carlito's way spin on it um, but, I think we've established that Alan Moore's gift is not really dialogue. Not not in terms of how it should dialogue. be spoken. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain that if uh, Alan Moore was like, you're complaining about this, I never intended anyone to say these words aloud. Fuck off. Which would, <laughs> he'd be entirely uh, warranted to say that. Um, but yeah, we've got yeah Inspector Bolland and Detective Moore here. Little nods to uh, Alan Moore and Bram Bolland. Here again, I had to uh, be young Jack and act with it, and it's really hard not to break character and to, to to cry and to at the same time keep it in keeping with the Joker himself. And it seemed seemed like this guy is just one step that closer to to being this character. Yeah, fair play to uh, um, Lauren and Alex; they really nailed the heartlessness of these guys. This kind of oh, your wife's dead. You probably want to be alone right now. Like that's that's your response, you fucking monsters! <laughs> I believe there's actually an Elseworlds or possibly even a uh, an actual story where um, uh, it's implied that those guys actually orchestrated Genie's death so that they could secure Jack for this one, which seems kind of far fetched, almost too um, Machiavellian for these guys. They're just small time. It's certainly possible that there's there's something a little. Um, underhand going on there though because it, it it does seem rather coincidental and the fact that they point out this is like a one in a million freak accident interestingly though the Joker goes crazy because of chaos and if it had actually been orchestrated and if it had been people who fucked him over it's slightly different and his reasons to go crazy would be different he'd be more like Jason well he's an unreliable narrator so it's entirely possible that he did it yeah. He, 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 uh, sabotaged, yeah, uh, the, oh, what it was, Christ, to, to set it on fire as a way of, uh, basically freeing himself of all that responsibility because it was clearly far too heavy a weight for him. And, uh, it's entirely possible he did that to free him up and, and, you know, he's, he's obviously displayed <laughs> multiple personalities in the past, uh, uh, from, from the point of view of being the Joker, so maybe it started way back then. That's so dark, That would, Matt. that would fit as well if, um, <laughs> even under dark, the circumstances. <laughs> if, if Jeannie's, um, response had actually been much more, um, uh, scathing of his inability to get work, and, and, and if you're right, Alex, and he has idealised her reaction, mm. 
because he doesn't want to think about what her real reaction caused him to do. Oh, yeah, that is a little bit dark. Jesus. Moving swiftly on to the fun bit. Um, uh, again, music from The Prestige. Uh, and this is actually from the very beginning. It's, it's called Are You Watching Closely? I cannot recommend The Prestige enough. It's my next favourite uh, um, Nolan film after the, the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, but yeah, this is um, it's got this really like it sustains and then just cuts off. Then it cuts to the ghost train and uh, Gordon's on there again. This was a really difficult one to do because Gordon actually starts to react to Barbara in the middle of the song. But I, I tried having that happen, but you couldn't hear what Joker was singing, and it wasn't obvious what Gordon, Gordon was reacting to either, even though he was yelling about Barbara. Um, mm-hmm. So I had to sort of separate the two. And uh, move them along. Now, regarding the choice of song, because <laughs> I, I haven't had any complaints about it yet, um, uh, as Alan Moore would probably attest, this is not uh, lyrics that he ever designed to have attached to a song. It doesn't actually work. It doesn't. It doesn't have the same rhyming structure as a song. I had to. I was trying to find uh, pieces of creepy fairground music to sing it to, but that it doesn't have. Uh, the tune structure and, and the, 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 the symmetry that a song requires, it's, it's all over the place. So what I had to do was make up new lines or reorchestrate lines to make sure that there were enough syllables in them and apply it to an existing song. And a song that I'd kind of wondered if it, it sounded, how it would sound like that. So I don't know if the result with, with having the uh, freaks go, is, just hilarious and you can't take it seriously at all or just a, a moment of much needed levity but um I, I like the way that this fits and all i really did was just nudge it the music definitely helped it it sort of like it was it was mary so it was definitely the joker the almost cheeriness of it it's just sort of helped us see like where he's spiraling down into and just like how much the Joker is enjoying this, like how much he's enjoying inflicting this kind of chaos. I mean, what especially hits me in this is, is, um, is the Joker's face in the second panel. He looks, he looks satanic. Mm. I mean, I look at that and I see, can't sleep. Clown will eat me. Um, but, <laughs> if but you should it's... die before you wake. <laughs> Sorry. But, but, um, but it is. It's, it's like he's he's enjoying every bit of this. This is his part to be be the showman. This is his part to be the like the laughing the laughing man that was alluded to in a, in the previous fair scene, you know, with with Bob Bonus. But this this especially, it's just like he's he's making Gordon miserable, and he's loving every bit of it. Actually, you're right. He is trying to be a showman here. It's it's not about. Just singing a really creepy song. The lyrics are creepy as hell, but if you actually, if you listen to the lyrics, then you get all of the meaning that's being put across. But he is portraying it in a way that is sort of vaudeville. It's sort of meant for the stage. It's not, um, it's not just some really fucked up horrible poetry. If he'd been able to do this before, maybe he'd have got the job. But while I was, uh, I say singing it, I was really just sort of speaking it in a kind of melodious tone. Um, there were a few lines in there, such as, uh, even when your kid turns blue, just admit the wretched child was better dead, which I tweaked. And uh, I made sure that that was spat with some venom and a little bit of resentment for what had actually happened to him. 
in a kind of a, this is this was my recourse. It makes sense. It is the only logical uh, choice at this stage if you go insane as well. He's nudging him towards that. Uh, for the emotion comic, this one was really tough because you could tweak stuff on, on the other things and change the uh, um, words around. But if you're reading the wrong words while you're hearing the song, it'll really throw you off. And there are a few that I had to doctor, like um, the the big wide shot of the, all the horrible photos of Barbara. I had to superimpose a shot of the Joker in the top left corner because it's singing, if you're hurt inside, get certified, and if life should treat you bad. But that's after he's finished singing. So if you see that speech bubble, it throws you off. So I had to put a picture of the Joker in there. Anyway, so, um, and Matt, much credit uh, to you for being able to go crazy uh, without your neighbors knocking on the door and going, who is this Barbara that we keep hearing so much about? <laughs> I did. I was, at one point, I did worry about that because I was just uh, I've been <laughs> moaning and wailing for so long. I was expecting them to possibly come around and knock on the door and say, are you all right? But apparently my neighbors don't give a shit about me because no one came around. So. I have no idea what my care. neighbors think I'm doing with all the cackling and wailing <laughs> and shouting and Batman. and Like, you know, just my open door and, and me playing the same fraction of a second over and over again while Batman, you know, just to, to line up the exact lines. It must be maddening to listen to him. For, to them, I apologize. But, um, but yeah, the, uh, Matt, well done for your uh, restrained yet full-throated performance on the, the reaction there. I was going to say, Dad, so glad you cared. I, I really appreciated that. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, oh, the other thing is, of course, that uh, in the montage uh, in the uh, comic, you get a lot of bumps uh, as Gordon is continuously led through this uh, ghost train and, and to further. But I use them as uh, breaks in the song just to um, uh, cover over the bits where Joker was obviously singing different lyrics and also so you weren't dwelling on the same one picture for far too long. while Because there's a lot of lyrics in each panel. But, uh, yeah, that was useful extra fodder. I, I, managed, I managed to use every single image in the entire book. And some of them, like the one coming up, I managed to use them several times from different angles. Well, for the montage sequence, which is basically, if it was a movie, you just have, like, a quick image, then another 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 image. There's only 12, and I've got to space them out over, like, three and a half minutes. So uh, what I ended up doing was, um, for something like when he busts in on Gamble, I took that one image and then I zoomed in on various different bits of it and just sort of showed you a little fraction of that picture, a little fraction of the other picture, a little fraction of it. It's just, uh, just all over the place, just to space that out. Otherwise, you'd just be sat staring at this one still image for nearly a minute. Um, and I, I think it just about kept the pace there. Um, but I used the music from Arkham City here. Um, which uh, I think everyone will immediately associate with uh, Batman in Gotham or just sort of flying around. And it's, it's great montage music. And I'm going to be using it again, I'd imagine, in Hush. Um, that was actually the same piece of music I used at the beginning for my uh, the first try I ever did at this kind of thing when I was rendering a sort of amateurish beginning of Hush way back when we were reviewing it for uh, Gonzo last year. Um, really great to include a bit of the Penguin here. I, uh, I got um, Matt Wetter again, the multi-skilled, multi-talented Wetter, to impersonate the Nolan North Penguin in uh, Arkham City because I figured, you know, that's the Penguin voice I like right now, so we'll, we'll, we'll use him. And he did he did several takes where he was like, bloody <laughs> <laughs> using that. <laughs> it's supposed to be serious. It's really hard to get the Penguin serious, but uh, 
yeah, I, I haven't heard a flipping word he ended up with, which I liked. And um, then, Sharon, you ended up with the Harley voice for Street Girl. Mm-hmm. Entirely by accident. Yeah. So it's possible, since Harley did end up in the comics, that she was just, you know, Harley and Quinzel out late at night, and um, Batman was just asking a random person in the street. Or she could be a prostitute. We don't know. Well, she had to pay for psych school one way or another. That's true. There's, um, yeah, there's various various different ways you could do that. Uh, and I would imagine Harley would uh, be less intent on studying then you get uh, some more Bullock and some name stuff. And again, Daniel Floyd. What a little performer on this bit. Just, just There's no word that I had to add words to this entirely silent sequence. And um, just the, the conviction he had when, uh, when reading this out in this. I, I said basically, right, your motivation is you know that you are filling in while Gordon's gone. And you're worried that Gordon will be gone on a permanent basis and you don't really have that much of a rapport with Batman and he doesn't respect you and you don't respect him, but you both have to work together to get Gordon out. And he used that just for a couple of lines. It was great stuff. And then uh, Gordon gets out and you get n- more fantastic uh, soliloquizing from the Joker. I do like the, to reflect upon life and all its random injustice. Then we put cut to the next uh, flashback scene, the final flashback scene, and uh, I spaced this one out a bit more to give it more sort of a sense of gathering. And um, for the uh, motion comic, I zoomed right in and took away the speech bubbles on the bit where um, Joke, you're inside Joker's, uh, Jack's head inside the red hood, so that you were just surrounded by this choking darkness. And I, I wanted people to feel quite uncomfortable while watching those bits. Sharon, did it work? Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, for, for those scenes, I actually got the pudding basin that I mentioned before and put it around the microphone and talked into it so that my voice would rattle around on the inside to make it sound like I was inside the uh, glass-domed hood. Uh, James Batchelor played security guard Judd, who is a reference to Judd Winnick, who wrote Under the Hood, uh, where uh, Jason Todd becomes the new Red Hood. And uh, I changed a little bit of the... Um... Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> I changed a little bit of the order of the speech of what it's going on here because um, uh, he doesn't say, for God's sake, run, this is all screwed up until like well after they should have been running. So I got him to say that a lot earlier uh, so that there's a sense of panic and uh, running at this stage. I got Paul James to have to say, the ringleader's taking off across the catwalk. Don't let him get out over the waste pound lot, which is not something you should ever ask anyone to say. The waste pound lot's not even in there, but it's just a reference to, uh, to, to exactly what happened and where the Joker was going to be running out over to explain what he was going to be falling into. It's basically all the runoff from their chemicals that they're dumping into the river. In the... Um, in the 89 Batman film, he falls directly into a vat of chemicals. Slightly different. And possibly more appropriate, because you'd think they'd be very diluted if they were in the river. But then again, maybe it's just more of a combination of chemicals that fucks him up at that point. Mm. And the bit where uh, Batman confronts him, uh, it's in, the, in the book it's, So, Red Hood, we meet again, which is kind of stylized. So I, I changed that slightly to just you again in this in this guy. Like he's, he's a new Batman. He's trying to sort of uh, take con- control at the stage, and he failed. And uh, I added the, no, god damn it! Because as far as he's concerned, this guy might 
die as a result of falling off there and he actually didn't prevent somebody dying and that obviously ties in with breakdown where he's trying to be the master of death and trying to uh you know nobody dies on my watch which has been open to radical interpretation over the years a lot of people a bit more liberal with uh, how batman uh sees death and he sort of he allows it to happen if it's uh, if it's uh, okay under certain circumstances um but as you know the batman that i'm writing at least the bruce wayne that i'm writing um <laughs> or adapting is somebody who just can't abide death occurring on his watch now the next image you've got the um page open where uh, it's joker jump falling into the uh, water or jack jumping yep. into the water right <laughs> okay look at that picture of him going down into the water now google the hanged man it's a tarot card and now turn your head upside down so the or if you've got the comic, turn the comic upside down so that you can look at the actual image. Oh yeah, I, I read tarot. This is this is definitely the hanged man. I never noticed until I was doing the motion comic. I was like, you know what that looks like? So I've added a couple of hanged man tarot cards in there. Uh Sharon, what does the hanged oh indeed the retter, if you if you are familiar with it, what what does the hanged man signify? Uh well for you know, the positive is you're seeing things from a new perspective. Oh god! Um, but um, the negative is like, you know, it's it's definitely still it's still a new perspective, but it's also not necessarily a good one. Um, you're stuck in one place. You're you're trapped, and uh, you're you're in a lot of trouble. Basically, there's there's no way to get out of this. You just have to push through. Um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that is not there by accident. That Brian yeah. Bolland meant to do that then. Um, the, the, my interpretation of it as well is to a degree it's about um, accepting the fate, the card that's been dealt to you. Um, and the fact that it's the, it's the 12th card and it's followed by the death card as well, which is the, the sort of key everything is about to change card, mm. that it leads into that I think is um, significant as well. I'm reading the Court of Owls at the moment, so I'm very much into the idea of there being, you know, bigger players in the background and, and the idea of the fates of uh, key players in Gotham being dealt out. The way I framed it in the motion comic, it's it seems like the, the Joker is just a card that is being played at this stage. Really kind of fascinated with the idea that, that Gotham is just some colossal game that's being played by higher-uppers. We're coming up to the most distressing part for me to do. <laughs> Uh, Loretta, if you had a panic attack while um, doing your uh, bit, I kind of hurt myself and um, uh, was a little bit worried that I might have uh, done myself a mischief when I uh, cracked up and did the, uh, the the full-on Joker laugh here. This is the worst, the most horrible, the most transformative laugh the Joker will ever do. It's the, the thing that takes him from one man to the, another. Uh, so it couldn't just be a regular laugh. It had to be something where I just completely, fully let go and gave it everything. Once I'd finished, just a few seconds afterwards on the original recording, Lyra comes in and goes, Daddy, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm just doing Joker. Because um, I, I sounded terrifying. Luckily, uh, she's heard you do Joker before. So she yeah, was able yeah. to sort of assimilate that quite well, I think. Yeah, it's it was uh, it's it's been a bit that's freaked out a lot of people and and good because it's supposed to, and uh, I suppose it's just it's something that um, it, it's 
it warrants an extra amount of effort to uh, to perform that. And uh, again, love to see Mark Hamill. Uh, sorry, love to hear Mark Hamill doing that one. And then it cuts back to the present day and the freaks. And Matt Wetter has <laughs> a very lovely other half named Lucy Wetter who actually did have a go at doing some freak laughs and going, ha ha ha, that's so funny. Hello, Alex, this is Lucy Wetter speaking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, you delete that. No, I'm not deleting that. Yes. No. That's a good, you use that voice. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Right, hang on a sec, Alex. <laughs> right, okay. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> so funny. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. Right, come on. Right, stop it then. No. Yeah, no. Just, this will laugh at this. Right, put it on. That's what she said. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. It sounds like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Mrs. Doubtfire, isn't it? Oh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, that's so funny. My breasts are on fire. Oh, God, right. Stop, stop, stop. I didn't use them in the end. I used um, sort of some, some canned studio laughter because I felt it would be actually more creepy and eerie to have this sort of horrible looping track of people braying with this uncontrolled laughter going on and on and on. It wasn't actually clear whether the Joker was performing to a uh, tent full of uh, crazy people or to nobody at all, and he'd just um, put on a looping track of laughter. I think I kind of wanted to leave it ambiguous like that. This is the one time when I played Gordon in there. If you listen very, very carefully, Gordon's whimpering, and because you never actually whimpered, Matt, I had to basically go, for you. I'm I'm sorry. If I could have whimpered on on request, had had you just said something. After you sent me all of that stuff, I didn't want to come back with, dude. I need whimpering. Whimper, bitch. Whimper. Come but on. It's, it's for such a short amount of time that I just thought I can probably do this whimper, and no one will tell the difference. <laughs> but yeah, another wonderful uh, speech from uh, Joker here, and this is what the whole book's about. It's basically it's Joker's perspective on life and and how he's like, you know, life is just so cruel, life is just so crazy, and nobody gives a toss about you. Uh, it actually is quite comforting to go crazy. Uh, it, it's uh, it allows you to just sort of drop everything you're doing and um, immerse yourself. It's actually. Um, Sharon, how how prevalent would that actually be in the psychological, the world of psychology as to, to, to the percentage of people who actually do break down? How many would consider that to be sort of something of a, a retreat? Oh, good Lord, I wouldn't have a clue in terms of actual numbers. I mean, it, it's... It's not everyone by any means. No, no, far, far from That's it. That's the but problem. I think... The Joker only sees the, the world through his perspective. Mm. And and his perspective is very much the minority perspective, and that's that's the irony in his um, uh, obviously not not in all his interpretations, but in this interpretation and in in the, uh, Heath Ledger's interpretation for The Dark Knight, mm. there is very much a sense of he uses his own uh, mental deterioration as um, 
evident that everybody's that way, which in a way just emphasizes how sociopathic and narcissistic and self-obsessed he is. He, he literally thinks the rest of the world is a reflection of him mm. um, and tries to turn it around by saying, no, I'm just a reflection of the rest of the world. This is what the rest of the world is like. And he's he almost continually seems to be trying to prove that, you know, that everybody is this way. In fact, it's not everybody, dude. It's just you. Yeah. And if he hears a reaction to that when Batman suggests that, he's like, no! And to reject it and just to mm. pull Batman's cowl down over his eyes. I want to be pulling the wall down over his own. What I would say, um, the amount of people who would have, who, who would just break is probably relatively high, but after a single day is basically, most people won't. They might have a bit of an issue, mm. but it's not going to do to them what, what, it did to the Joker. Yeah. It's not take, just one bad day. It's sustained. No, that bad would take days. an extremely unstable personality, an incredibly bad day, and it wouldn't just be that day. It'd be everything leading up to it. With mean, the Joker, it wasn't one day. It was however many weeks or months he'd been a failed mm. uh, comedian for. He'd been destitute, a failure, giving himself all kinds of grief, See, seeing um, other people. Uh, giving him uh, grief and, and looking down at him, even if they're not, that's a protracted period of time. That's what it takes. It takes a lot of shit over a long period yeah. of time, and then it takes one trigger. I've been there. It happened to me, and it didn't happen that badly. But all the shit I went through over the over the last over a period of what four years, five years, it no, no one thing ever got to that point until right at the end when I just lost it and. and even that was only one one brief period where I just lost it completely. It's not the kind of thing that a normal, healthy, even not even that healthy person wouldn't just snap. It doesn't happen that way. It, it takes a long time for all that stuff to get put into place. So uh, I don't think you know, Jim Gordon isn't the kind of person who would break. It, it was never going to happen. But as you say, the Joker can't see that. He just wants other people to to justify his his actions and his behaviour. Speaking of, uh, going back to the scenes where uh, Genie and Joker, sorry, Genie and Jack are talking, and uh, Jack is um, saying he can't support her. It didn't take much uh, for me to basically uh, stretch to my own misgivings about not being the sole breadwinner of the house and not being able to sort of fulfil this societal requirement to be able to provide for my family off my own back. To to just completely wallow in that sense of uh, of worthlessness that I've, you know, truly has stabbed at me over the years. And I've had to, it's taken a long while for me to come to terms with where I am in our family dynamic. And, um, yeah, that came through in my performance there. I had a feeling it was coming from somewhere that was very intense. Mm. And likewise with, uh, with yours, Matt, it was, um, there was quite, your, your voice at that point was quite heartrending, to be honest. Yeah. The bit we're just about to get up to where, um, he, he, yeah, Batman tries to get him out of the cage. Yeah, we're not there yet, but we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, they don't make the Batmobile like this anymore, do they? With a giant bat face on it. Very, <laughs> <laughs> How camping. arrogant do you have to be to put your face on your own car? Not I even don't at think Halloween. I'd have to drive a car with his face on it. <laughs> Anyway, I love the whole reprisal of "Hello, I came to talk." Riffing on the uh, the, the earlier section of the book—that's uh, that's brilliant. The motion comic section doesn't sync up with this. I'm portraying a much more 
protracted physical fight between the two, which actually shouldn't happen. If it get, comes to a tete-a-tete between Batman and the Joker that goes on for several minutes, Batman's going to break the Joker's bones, you know, on no uncertain terms. But uh, it was more of a sort of a metaphorical clash. If you listen very carefully, you can actually hear uh, after um, uh, Bruce says, sorry, after Batman says, about what's going to happen to us in the end. I took a little bit of dialogue from um, Batman Breakdown of, you want to see something really funny? Just before the Joker shoots himself in the face. I was tying together this whole final section with the final section of Breakdown. This is what Joker considers to be their suicide pact. He decides, right, one of us is going to kill the other. Batman said it, so it has to be true. And yeah, there's this sort of the seed is sown here. Same as the, 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 as you were saying about it, it's not just one thing. Bruce didn't go crazy as an eight year old immediately after his parents were killed, but the seed was sown there and turned into this giant mad tree over the years until I think there's possibly in the comics, isn't it the point where the bat bursts into his, uh, into Wayne Manor that suddenly he realizes I have to be Batman. The putting on the mask and stuff, that's kind of the, if, if Batman has a condition, it is exemplified by the cowl. Like he was, he was at that stage before he put the cowl on, but when he puts the cowl on, that's everything inside him coming out all at once. And so when he does the voice, that's who he really is. And that's the point, actually. Kevin Conroy differentiates between the Batman voice and the Bruce voice. The Bruce voice was always much softer because that's the mask that he wears. Because I have had no major Bruce sections in this and Breakdown, Bruce does occasionally um, come to the fore when he's uh, having the sessions with um, Jennifer. But... I couldn't maintain the Bruce voice. It was too soft and I kept drifting back to Batman. What I've ended up doing is the two voices of Batman, which effectively are the deep Lance Henriksen voice. That's Bruce. And then there's the, where is he? That's the public face of Batman. That's the, uh, the, all of the hardness. He can't talk like that to Alfred and Barbara and Dick. You know, Christian Bale in the movies talking like this, to Catwoman, even though she knows he's already Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you know, you can just talk to me as normal at this stage. I, I just figured there is no point Bruce being that character to people who know who he really is. So he he has to be two different Batmans. Um, so that's the differentiation I did. And I, I figure if I have to do Bruce in Hush, he will have a third voice. And I will see if I can try and perfect that one I was going around the block on for... Um, Batman breakdown. Just be much lighter, much more um, yeah. sunny, wouldn't it? Because it's, it's uh, complete. That is a persona he's putting. Yeah, on. that's the mask. And it have to be really laid back and, and casual and, and irresponsible, really. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, when he's talking to Jennifer, he's still being the Batman that he presents to Alfred. He's just not got his. Actually, at the time, he has his uh, costume on. He takes it off, and then the moment he gets the cowl off, he starts talking in a softer way. But I still haven't got a handle on it at that point. I'm going to have to really work at it next time. Because um, mm. it is inconsistent. And now we're at the uh, point where Joker runs off uh, into the fun house. So he gets to Jim. And Matt, you do that fantastic. This is the point where you really perform. Thank you. The yeah. line is, no, uh, I'm okay. You have to go after him. I want him brought in. And I want him brought in by the book. 
And you spit that line with this sort of, like, you know, I'm going to get back to being the Jim Gordon I always have been. I haven't cracked on this one at all. And that's really reassuring. Well, I figured at this point, Jim, you know, he, he knows Batman well enough. He knows that Batman's kind of a bit on the edge himself. And he's... he's a sp- bit on the edge <laughs> Smidgen, maybe. He's... He's at this point, Jim is well aware of what the Joker is trying to do, and he's also well aware of the fact that he might just succeed, and he's got to stop that from happening. So he's, you know, I was trying to put as much venom into that voice as a warning to Batman, as much as a as a, a demand, as warning him not to to go too far. Yeah. Well, that was fantastic, that bit. Thank you. Yeah, I practiced that one quite a lot. <laughs> So it kept sounding rubbish. It kept sounding so it was like really weak and pathetic. I was like, "No." I wish no, I had just... a few of your weak, pathetic ones I could play. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one we made earlier. That was that was yeah, um, I before I started recording. That was uh, I was actually at work. I was on my own and completely on my own in the building. I was uh, going through a few of the lines while I was doing my work. So marching around the warehouse, I would have bought it by that book. By that book. Oh, hi, Mark. So Batman ventures into the house of fun. And uh, I spliced into this next Joker soliloquy little bits from uh, all over the place. I got uh, the the bit from the bar where uh, Joe says nobody backs out now. I put that in to emphasize the, you know, there's a difference between me and everybody else. All it takes is one bad day to induce the sanest man alive to lunacy. And then you had a bad day once, am I right? I took the bit where um, Bruce is regressing to his childhood self, saying, Bruce, don't be afraid, repeating what his father said, and played that here. And in the emotion comic, I use uh, the only image... In fact, the, yeah, there's two images here that aren't in the killing joke that I uh, used. There's the classic Frank Miller image of uh, Bruce um, with his parents uh, dead underneath the streetlights. And then the next bit is um, Alfred saying you have to let them go. And that ties in with the speech that Bruce has repressed uh, about Alfred trying to educate him, well, trying to teach him about coming to terms with death just after the death of his parents. And it's like there's little bits of it trying to creep back into his mind at this stage and he's pushing them out. And there's a wonderful piece of um, uh, artwork which I found uh, of, a, of a younger Alfred. And the Joker's given this wonderful uh, soliloquy again, sort of tying the whole thing up and pointing out that, you know, it's he sees the similarity between him and, and Batman and it, he just doesn't understand why um, he can't push Batman over the edge and what it's, what it's going to take to to get him that angry and to get him that crazy. Uh, because ultimately, because Batman's crazy already, he has control over his crazy. And that's that's what the Joker doesn't seem to really grasp, is that he can't change Batman into something else that he's not. Well, they have, different, they have entirely different ways of dealing with, with yeah. the uh, the trauma. I mean, Batman basically is all about absolute, complete control at all times. The Joker is about abs- complete anarchy and no control whatsoever. And because and, they're approaching the same thing from two different directions. Joker had no one left after his bad day, and, and Batman still had Alfred. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's why I put in Alfred there. It was like this is the difference between them. Bruce had Alfred, Joker had no one. Joker had Joe, and then Joe got killed. I also want to uh, talk about how uh, how we were saying earlier that uh, that the Joker in, in that uh, the scene with the red hood, he was he was the fool, and Sharon was saying, "Well, the next card is a death card," mm. and we see Batman going through. He's got the cowl over him. He does. He has that imagery of the death card, oh, where it's the transformation. Yeah. And so, um, 
you can sort of see where he's saying it's it's all a joke, you know, everything anyone ever valued or struggled for. Mm-hmm. Um, you can sort of see, like, this is the most human he looks in the comic when he's not in the flashbacks. Yeah. He's, his face isn't twisted into this grin. He's not, he doesn't look demonic or devilish. He looks like a frightened little clown. Yeah. He's, he's never looked like that anywhere else. There's, um, uh, a point in, um, in the Dark Knight Returns where he doesn't smile until way later when uh, Batman's actually back. And he just looks like, uh, well, there's nothing there. He's empty. Um, and, but when he's, when he's not smiling, uh, when he's back in gear, he doesn't seem like Joker to me. But this, because he's got these great big Disney eyes at this stage, you, you kind of, that's the point where if you're going to feel at all for him, it's going to be there. And so I tried to measure the, uh, the vocal performance so that it would be, uh, almost trying to reason with Batman at that stage. It's like, you know, you know, I'm just bewildered at this scenario. In, in the Arkham City series, you, you get some recordings of the Joker, like he's talking to, to Batman and, He's talking to the Batman, and it's, and it's almost like Batman is his best friend in the world. Like he, mm. Mm, yeah, he is fo- like he is not only focused on himself, but he's focused on Batman. He's determined that Batman be there with him till the very end, including if it's going to be his end. Yeah, and you you can see the beginnings of that, especially in this part where he's got the doe eyes and he's he's not smiling. He's just he's pouting. Actually, now that you mention it, in the, the death of the family, which I've not read yet, um, from the sounds of it, it seems like Joker's saying, look, your family's way too big. You're getting way too preoccupied with your collection of boys. It's just got to be about you and me. And that's his rationality. We are, you know, you're the, you're the king of Gotham and I'm your court jester. The f- I don't know what people made of the fight scene and whether they, it really followed on and, and it made sense as to what exactly was happening. Sharon did point out that after Batman's beaten the living fuck out of Joker twice, he then says, I don't want to hurt you, <laughs> which is a bit rich. Really, if you break it down, the Joker keeps attacking Batman and he keeps trying to disable his um, abilities to attack Batman. That's all. He's, you know, he's just like, well, drop the knives, drop the sticks, stop eye gouging me. He, he stamps on his hand to stop him from using his joy buzzer or, or you know, Joker toxin injection device. Um, and then there's this, this flick knife and it's, it's, it's all basically about would you just drop all the weapons, stop trying to attack me, you won't win. So that's what he means about I don't want to hurt you. It's, 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 it's stop attacking me. He's saying he doesn't want to hurt the Joker. But that's a lie too, really. If you get down to the core of Batman, he wants to kill Joker. And that's why he has the rule. Yeah. Maybe not at this stage, but Joker hadn't killed Jason yet. I think once he steps over that line, um, Batman has wanted to kill him ever since then. So maybe at this stage, this was the last glimmer of uh, hope between the two of them. But after Joker beats Jason to death, the gloves are off. I think it's quite significant that that ultimately, although Barbara has been so um, sort of traumatized uh, physically and, and psychologically by what's happened to her, he kind of he, as in Batman, sorry, he recognizes that, that it's Commissioner Gordon's call how that is dealt with, 
and that's why he, I think he, when he makes the statement, I'm doing this one by the book, but he's doing it that way because Jim specifically asked him to. And ultimately that's, that's Jim's decision. But you're right, with Jason, it falls on Bruce to make the decision about how it's handled. Yeah. I get some really kind of heartbreaking shots of the Joker where he can't hide how he's feeling at this stage. He just looks so sad and so beaten and so rejected and dejected and it's crushed. And then when Batman actually extends a hand to him and he's he sort of glares at him and then says, no, I'm sorry, and it's too late for that. That's the sad part. Now, if you may have felt sorry for him before, but it all comes down to the fact that Batman's actually offering him a leg up. He's offering him a chance to, you don't need to be out on the edge anymore. You needn't be alone. And it's, you needn't be alone. And then if you look at the picture underneath that, that's so sad. If you believe that the Joker was actually a worthwhile person at some point in his life. And then he tells his joke and then they both laugh. Now somebody actually uh, did pull me up on that and said, I don't think Batman would have laughed that hard. But if you actually look at it panel by panel, uh, he's actually steadying himself on Joker with laughing. And as I said, that was the really, really hard bit to do. And, and if you listen carefully, Batman's not laughing that hard. He's just going, <laughs> it's the Joker who's putting all the welly in. But because it's the same guy, it sounds like hysterics. I think, though, with that, um, with the joke, and I, I didn't really think about it too much until we watched the uh, the full motion comic the other night I think both of them are interpreting the punchline of that joke slightly differently uh-huh. I think both of them can see themselves in the guy who's offering to shine the torch because Batman is offering the Joker a way back to sanity and the Joker is offering Batman a way forward to give up on the sanity that's holding him back. Wow, I did not interpret it that way. I only interpreted it as the Joker being the guy who was afraid of falling. Mm. But I, I think it's both of them. And that's the whole point of their relationship, that the roles can be flipped backwards and forwards, depending on which perspective you're standing on. I will mention the music. Uh, the moment that Gordon uh, gets, um, that Batman helps Gordon out of the cage, a piece of uh, music starts playing, and it is 15 minutes long. And it's uh, simply called A Dark Night, and it's a suite of various different pieces of music from the end of um, the Dark Knight CD. And it's not arranged in a way that matches the movie directly, but I made the Killing Jokes finale match that piece of music directly. Well, it starts with Gordon saying, we've got to do this by the book. And you said, you know, if you're hearing that music, you're thinking of Gordon at the end saying, you know, because we can send our, our dogs after him, because he can take it, because he's not the hero Gotham needs. Uh, so we're not the hero Gotham wants, but he's the hero Gotham needs. And suddenly you get, you're at that point at the end of the dark night. And then it just, the music keeps sort of swelling and going. And it's like, you know, suddenly Batman, you're thinking about how much Batman has sacrificed and how much he will sacrifice. And, um, then when, uh, Joker's giving his speech, it's the bit with the fairies and, uh, you know, the people are sort of, he, Joker's expecting them to be just like him. And then, Batman's offering him an arm and saying, you know, we can stop this cycle. We can stop doing this forever over and over again is the exact point in the track where Joker's hanging upside down saying, you and I are destined to do this forever. So it's like you're getting 
the words from the book in one point, and then you got the counterpoint from Dark Knight at the same time. So I just kind of wanted to sweep everybody up in this sort of Batman Joker um, cycle uh, and just get them to sort of feel that emotion. And that's the bit of music that I, I feel is most appropriate. And it brings it forwards, and it brings the book as up-to-date as you can really, and as relevant as you can get it at the moment. Uh, who haven't I mentioned? Uh, God Bill was played by Jerome McIntosh. He had that one line at the beginning. He was the guy who opens the door for you. Um, Gamble was played by Akila Edwards. Uh, and uh, originally, he has no name in the comic. There's not even any uh, talking. It's during the um, uh, montage sequence when uh, he's, you know, busts in on this sort of old Sicilian-looking guy. And we changed it to Gamble because, uh, you know, uh, uh, Akila is a, is a young black guy. And it just seemed to be more appropriate to sort of call back to this guy from Dark Knight who has had dealings with the Joker, not good ones, um, and just say, hey, you know what? Joker might kill this guy at some point later on. Oh, is he do the pencil? Uh, no, no, no. He's the one who's like, I don't know how I got these scars. Ah, yes, of course. My father was a drunk and a fiend. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so sorry. Um, sorry. No, I, you're not. I told you, stop creeping people out, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Put the knife in my mouth. All right. All right. Alex, haven't you done enough damage to me already? Thank you. Why so serious? One day Alex is going to work out a way to combine Heath Ledger's Joker and Smeagol and everyone is going to freak out completely and become the Joker. You know what? I I want to give you a dose of comeuppance for me right now. The other day I was doing my shoes up on the stairs and Lyra snuck up behind me and went, why so serious? (laughs) (laughs) Nearly fell downstairs with shock. And she said, too good at that. Do it on the stairs. Awesome. And she was so proud of herself for making a dirty shot. so, frankly. <laughs> anyway. I'm proud of her and I never met her. <laughs> it's, a, it's a proud moment in a young girl's life when she realizes she can scare the shit out of her father. Said, Whatever you do, do not do that at school. You will not be popular. <laughs> <coughs> and frankly, neither will we. While I was doing the um, motion comic, I toyed with the idea of taking the guy who played Gamble in Dark Knight's face and superimposing it on that picture from the comic. Just to say, look, you know what? Um, uh, the, the the voice coming through doesn't necessarily match up to this guy, but it's Gamble from The Dark Knight. And Sharon, you were the one who put your foot down and said... I said no. <laughs> That's hilarious. He looked like Saddam Hussein in South Park. It's really not the effect that you were going for at no, that point. It would have made people crease up. I might even... I'm, I think I actually have it. I'll send it across now. In fact, I, th- I think when you asked me, I kind of looked at you for a moment as if to say, is this, is this a real thing? Are you, are you actually asking me whether you should do this? Because no. <laughs> so yeah, that was Akira Edwards as Gamble. Oh, and Name Chibidi played uh, security guard Murphy, the guy who uh, shoots at uh, Jack before he becomes the Joker, uh, and also Officer Bolland. And now this guy, I actually he he did some ad libbing during his um, uh, line readings and, and just sort of offered some sort of compassionate consolation uh, of uh, Jack. And I thought, you know what? If I just leave a little bit of that in at the end, it's like Jack had that hand outstretched to him and he didn't take it. He was like, "Do you need anything?" 
And he goes, no, and just sort of walks off. And it's just a, just that little glimmer of hope that maybe the world isn't as bad and as cold as he thinks, but because he didn't pay attention to that one bit, uh, he misses it. So, yeah. That was the killing joke. For my next trick, I will adapt the epic Batman story, Hush, which is at least four times the size of killing joke. Seriously, this thing's like, what, three comics wide at most? And Hush is 12 issues long. It's it's usually published in two parts. That's how big so it is. 50 pages, I think, The Killing Joke. So. Yeah, uh, so that's that's just over two. Mm. two like, 22 two is the standard. Yeah. Hush, very quickly looking at this here. Has it got page numbers? No, it hasn't got page numbers. Oh, well, so there's 100 and some 120 in the first book. And... Oh. So yeah, what's looking like four times that. Yeah. I, I, bear in mind, a lot of these pages are giant Jim Lee art splash pages with one line on them. <laughs> but uh, those are mostly at the beginning. Once it starts to get quite plotty nearer the end, there's a lot of dialogue. Uh, so this thing is going to be Herculean. It's going to take me ages. Not like um, Killing John, which I knocked together in a month. And uh, Batman Breakdown, which uh, basically because Bre- Batman Breakdown was designed for the audio format, I could make it as uh, uh, efficient as possible in that regard. Um, adapting Killing Joke was a lot harder to a degree because I had to really be slavish to the source text. I couldn't mix things around. I couldn't make decisions that would you know, change the story uh, inherently. I had to be very, very faithful. And it's going to be the same with Hush, only there's that much more story to it, that many more characters. So it's going to be quite tricky to put together. What I'm probably going to end up doing is I'll just do issue by issue we'll just get together for big recording sessions where everybody present in that issue turns up and then we'll just sort of read through like an episode of the animated series i hope that that will uh, work best everyone who can't make it i'll have to get their session uh, their stuff recorded separately and i'll fill in for them while they're away but that's the plan Uh, the following roles are yet to be filled harley quinn I think that one's filled, don't you, Alex? I, I think, yeah, <laughs> that's probably taken. I, I have at least two people who desperately want Harley Quinn, so if it's not going to be you, Loretta, it's going to be this other person, and um, they'd better have a really good Harley Quinn voice. Um, Poison Ivy, Killer Croc, Superman, Lois Lane, Huntress, if you know who she is, you pretty much already have the part. Is it Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul? It's Ra's al Ghul. Am I pronouncing this correctly? Yeah, it's Ra's al Ghul. It is Ra's al Ghul. But in the Nolan films, they mispronounce it or they pronounce it differently. Yeah. It's Ra's in Nolan and it's Ra's in animated series. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Mr. Al Ghul. uh, (laughs) His daughter, Talia al Ghul. Then we need a... Unless Neil wants to reprise his role again, and I seem to remember him saying in the negative, we need a new Nightwing. Uh, we need a Riddler. We need a Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow. We need a Lady Shiva. And if you know who she is, much like the Huntress, you've pretty much got the part. <laughs> Plus... So I'm playing both of them then. That's not really going to work for me. <laughs> Don't worry, Matt. I know who they are too. <laughs> Plus... Oh, Christ for that. <laughs> brief appearances by Amanda Waller. Now, I need to know a middle-aged black lady with a really strong voice for this because 
I don't know CCH Pounder, but I wish I did because her Amanda Waller is splendiferous. And Lex Luthor. Can anyone get me in touch with Clancy Brown? It's only a line. It's like one line. You know what? I joke, but if anyone can, please do. <laughs> if I can say, dude, we got Clancy Brown for this one. And Lex Luthor and dozens of other parts for cops, agents, superstitious, cowardly criminals, henchmen, and other Gothamites. Really excited about doing this one. It's my favorite Batman story. There is a joyous element to it. It's kind of a, it was written by Jeff Loeb in, in a kind of a, this month, Jim Lee will be drawing this person. And it's, it's almost like, you know, I, I reeled off this list of this Batman's rogues gallery. Every issue, they focus on one or two of these guys, and it's like, it gives them each a time to shine. So that means less spread out work over the whole project, because you can sort of turn up for your issue or two. Catwoman's going to have a lot of work. We have, um, at the moment, it would appear that uh, Cassandra, who played Catwoman in Breakdown, is returning for her role. Uh, but it's a very demanding one. She is in 11 of the 12 books. So... I don't want to push Cassandra too hard, so it's gonna, we're gonna see what happens with that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you would like a part in it, send me an ex- example of your voice, preferably playing that character. If you can read a bit of Hush, that would be even better. Uh, I, no promises, obviously, but basically I will audition people based on the strength of their voices and their, commitment to the the uh the project basically if you can maybe be on it but you're not sure and you don't know about the time frames and stuff you might have to be on the reserve list uh but if you can definitely commit to being able to just be there for uh, several recording sessions then i'd love to work with you my intention is to get as much of this possible done uh, all together like i said uh, in uh, for that sort of the the, the radio play field, just sort of to get it as organic as possible, as natural as possible, and to give everyone something to to, to react to. So uh, we shall see how that turns out. But I can tell you right now, I am not waiting a year to do this one. This one will be done in less than a year, principally because I can't make everyone do all this recording in blistering heat. So if I wait a year, it'll be in the middle of summer again. <laughs> That's all for us this week. Thank you, Loretta, so much for coming by and uh, for your first of, I hope, many podcasts. Here's hoping I have my fingers crossed and thank you all again very much for the chance. I I really love playing Barbara. Um, I I hope I get the chance to play Holly. I really love her as a character. She's insane. Um, And uh, I will I will be trying out for some of those other parts as well. Honestly, I'm looking forward to to seeing all of this again. I can't wait to watch the motion comic tonight. Thoroughly enjoyed listening to the audio comic once it was all done. It was it was incredible. So, thank you thank all you. of you very much for working with me. Thank you very much, uh, Matt and Sharon as well. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Right. Um, so uh, next week, you know what, Matt? Uh, if we can get this thing done on Sunday, um, I'm going to put this one out next week. Sound of Gonzo, Vice City Edition, for those sweating hot summer nights. <laughs> We've got a whole playlist ready. We're going to get a full double DJ set up and uh, uh, started. And uh, actually, last night, Sharon and I did a sort of a, a practice run on that kind of uh, thing, and it does work. So we'll see. Okay, so see you next week for a dose of the eighties. <laughs> If you're just listening to this one entirely out of sequence, you might want to listen to the next one if you like Vice City. <laughs> okay, and uh, that was. How do I sign this one off? Thank you and good night.
I'm the goddamn Batman. <laughs> <laughs>
Master Bruce, is there anything further I can assist you with, or will that be all? My name is Alfred Pennyworth, and I am a nosy butler. 